Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, the never-provincial Rodney Lloyd, and I'm joined by... A lost marble. Jess. Lost marble. A lost marble. Don't, don't, excuse me, provincial man. Mm. Step off. Um, hey, so just full disclosure, folks, uh, we're recording this on an evening. Uh, I have a bit of a headache, and Jess is very tired. So very tired. If the energy is low, we'll try to boost it back up. He'll try. We'll try. <laughs> hey, oh. but it's a new year. It's 1991. Oh, I thought you were saying it's 2021. That too. It's uh, 30 years ago. <laughs> we're talking about movies from 30 years ago. That's true. Um, so, as with our episodes, um, the last few, I guess, where were you in the year 1991? Becoming a big sister. Oh, was it your... Your young, your oldest sister was born in ninety one. My oldest, my next sister, yes. <laughs> your older, your old, eldest younger sister. My next sister, <laughs> not the youngest, but the next one. <laughs> mm. But you don't even remember the birth because you were a little baby. I was a little baby. I I wouldn't want to remember the birth. <laughs> I was uh, I was conceived in nineteen ninety one. Weird. Yep. I won't get into the details, but apparently my parents know when it happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you should know, I guess. It reminds me of that movie uh, Click with Adam Sandler. Yeah. He's like, the making of. And he clicks the making of, and it's his conception. <laughs> I've only seen that movie once, and I can only remember it is, vaguely it is, where it ends. It is a hard pass for me. Don't watch that movie. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but hey, it's 1991. We're going to talk about some movies. Yeah. And like going into the, like this has been... Probably the longest gap between recording sessions for years, it seems like. Mm. Just because these two movies are big undertakings. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Both are important in their own special ways. And uh, yeah, it was just a lot of research. Um, a lot of effort even sitting down to watch one of these movies. <laughs> Agreed. It is what it is. But we're going to start with Jess's movie of 1991. What's that? Released December 11th, 1991, starring Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, and little Dante Bosco. <laughs> Directed by Steven Spielberg, we have Hook. That's me, I don't understand. Why doesn't he fly? Is it not Peter Pan? He's Peter Pan, all right, Captain. He's just been away from Neverland so long, his mind's been junctified. He's forgotten everything. I think that, that clip does a good job explaining the premise of Hook. <laughs> Can you tell us what Hook is about? Um, it's about Peter Pan, who's forgotten everything. He's gotten old. <laughs> um, so Hook is basically the return to Oz for Peter Pan. Peter, Peter Pan. It's return to Wonderland, except... Uh, Wonderland. <laughs> Wonderstang it. Neverland. Neverland. <laughs> the Alice in Wonderland movie from 2010 is the Hook of Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Yes. Where an old Alice goes back to Wonderland. Yeah. And this so is an old Pan goes back to Neverland. Basically, Peter Pan uh, escaped, left Neverland because he fell in love with the lady and then grew up, married that lady and forgot all about Neverland until... Became a mild-mannered uh, lawyer. Lawyer until uh, he went back to visit Wendy, who's now his grandmother, uh, technically, through marriage. And um, his kids get kidnapped by Hook. Captain Hook. And so he has to go back and save them, but he has no idea what's happening. Yep, so he has to... It's a clumsy taken. It, <laughs> he has to go to Neverland, relearn how to be Peter Pan, so that he can rescue his kids mm. from Captain Hook. The movie's called Hook for some reason. Yeah. 
Don't I don't know. <laughs> um, where did where did you first watch Hook? On TV. And it was just a movie you've seen a bunch, or yeah, I, I don't. It's just like one of the things. I'm pretty sure we probably had it on VHS. Mm. Uh, I don't know why I said it. We had it on VHS with the correct things. We had it on tape. <laughs> Cassette. Who said? Who says VHS? We had it on tape, and so we watched it a bunch. I like kind of had a phase where I was really into like retellings of Peter Pan specifically. I, I like is, as an. Ad- this is true. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is not our pa- first pan, t- or this is our first pan, of but not pans. our last pan. It's I will much tell you like, that, folks. It's much like witches. Like, I liked witches and I liked Peter Pan. Peter Pan always, like, put, like, Peter Pan stories always put me in the mood to write. I don't know why. They, like, always just made me, like, want to be creative by the time I was done watching them. You're a, you're, I don't know. <laughs> you're a, you're just, you're your very own Michael Jackson. No. Obsessed with pan. No. I, uh... So this is like one of those movies that I remember existing as a kid, right? Like mm. I, I feel like a lot of kids our age watched this movie as a little kid, right? It was it came out the year before I was born, and just like a bunch of Disney VHS tapes and stuff like that. Like I remember people putting it on, like at you know preschool or yeah. at a friend's Keep house. It kids quiet, yeah, something. But the problem is, the first act of this movie is so boring <laughs> for a kid. That's fair. So. All I remember is like sitting down and trying to watch this movie and getting bored in the first 20 minutes. And by that point, it's like gone. So everything beyond the first 20 minutes, I have, I, I never acknowledged <laughs> as a kid. I don't remember it. You know, mm. I don't, I don't remember Rufio. <laughs> I don't remember the Lost Boys thud butt. I just remember the opening, feeling bored and probably, you know, getting distracted and going somewhere else and yeah. not watching it. And uh, yeah. And then like 20 years later. Um, in, in like the early 2000s, I got into a, uh, the early 2010s, I got into a webcomic called Homestuck. Oh dear. Now Homestuck is very, re- has a lot of references to, uh, like millennial stuff. They, they like to bring up old stuff like that. So the, the author of the webcomic decided to reference Rufio, one of the, the characters in the book, or so one of the characters in the comic is very, uh, shy and, uh, he has low self-esteem. So he looks up to Rufio as like uh, as a, uh, a, like a role model. A role model. Mm. So that that was the first reference, and then it became an ongoing joke that they would just continue to bring up Rufio. Mm, was at, it Dan? Huh? No, Dan's Dave. Dave. No, no, it was uh, Dave's it was got a, enough it was confidence. A troll. It, was, oh, okay. it was an internet troll and a real life troll. And so you saw all those references, and then you're like, oh, I should probably watch this movie. And not not even that. And then so. The, the the Rufio joke got brought up so often that at one point there was a sequence in the comic where the author self-inserted himself. Like, he was his own character. And, like, he would always... It would happen every so often where the, the author would be doing something fantastical just as a joke, like mm-hmm. an aside. Like, while the characters are doing this, here's what the author's doing. And he's, like, flying through the air as Peter Pan <laughs> and a pirate ship. And you see Rufio. And he's like, Rufio! And it's just a retelling of the scene in, in Hook where Rufio dies. No! <laughs> and Rufio, spoilers! So, yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> so Rufio dies in the arms of the author, Andrew Hussey of Homestuck. In the arms of the author. And then... <laughs> and then... Just as Rufio dies, they kiss. Oh dear! <laughs> yeah. But hey, and so I was into that, and then it turns you out into the kissing, huh? <laughs> I was yeah, I was into the kissing. It's very funny. <laughs> but then the actor who plays Rufio mm-hmm. 
ended up starting to read Homestuck for his blog. Huh. For his Tumblr. He was reading through Homestuck because people were like saying, hey, you should read this. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's weird. And so he gets to the scene and is just like, I don't know what to feel about this, guys. <laughs> and like Andrew Hussey, the, 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 the comic author, like tweeted at him as like, Dante, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Dante. <laughs> I didn't mean to do this. I'm so sorry, Dante. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's just, so you know you know those references at least let me be in the zeitgeist a little bit. Mm. I at least knew what Hook was because of that. Right. And then I didn't sit down and watch Hook in full until we watched it together. Ah, yeah. so it was very new. Very new. All right. I mean, newish. You'd seen. Some I'm not stuff. impressed. <laughs> let me say that. Well, side. <laughs> combo or sidetrack mm -hmm. we'll put a pin in it but uh, you keep pushing books are web comics books yes we what? definitely can't do books <laughs> we, if we ever do books oh we definitely can't for, do books have... i look here there are some things that the internet can't know it can't know the fan fiction i read and it can't know the webtoons i read mm, just saying if if we ever do books for media made homestuck will be my book of 2009 this uh, is this is fact hey this is fact. let's talk about hook okay <laughs> let's get into hook's uh Backstory. It's directed by Spielberg. This is our first Spielberg film. Is it? Yes. Um, we've talked about Spielberg, it seems like, every single year. Because mm. uh, he, he was in the height of his powers. He's had his hand in Back to the Future, uh, American Tale. Um, Toaster? No. No. Um, Animaniacs. Not a, no, what's the other one? Tiny Toons. Tiny Toons. Just, he was just working he, everywhere. He, was at his, his, he had a far reach. He was like herpes. Oh dear. He's everywhere. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm sorry. But he, this is our first movie directed by Steven Spielberg. Nice. Um, I guess. Not just produced, actually yeah, hands in. Yep, Not yeah. just the money. He was the man behind the camera. Um, oh, right. Yep. <laughs> it's live action. <laughs> and uh, here's how it was made. So, Hook serves as a sequel to 1911's Peter and Wendy, which it's a, it was a play and then it was a novel. Is that... The story? It was a play, then a novel. I believe so. Yeah, that's weird. Did you ever see the play? No. Or, or you, you've maybe seen? Have you seen like reenactments of the play or anything? No. Oh, okay. You're you're such a panhead. I thought you might have. I enjoy it, but nobody ever wants to go to plays with me. And I am now in a life stage where I feel fine going to movies and plays by myself. But now we're in a pandemic. This is true. <laughs> no pan for us. Uh, I will once we're done. Be like, bye, husband. I just spent forty dollars on a ticket somewhere. You can do what you want, and I'm gonna take myself out to a nice dinner and watch some people. I did watch. They had in a big play spot near us. Um, they played. They did a uh, Peter Pan in the round. They had a 360 theater, so he like oh, cool. literally flew above us and oh, all cool. around us and stuff. So that was fun. You have any uh, any thoughts on Peter Pan as a like a story, a medium? Is, do we want to get into that yeah, now? Yeah. I have, like, as a medium to tell a specific story? Yeah, I, I just I just think just, like, the figure, like, the myth of Peter Pan. I really enjoy the uh, Peter Pan in general. This is probably why I feel like it always, like, inspired me to write. Um, because I think there's so many, like, things... That, like, by the time I really understood, I was like, oh, this is all the same story. I was like, this Peter Pan, the cartoon Peter Pan. So it's Hook. Peter Pan the original, Return to Neverland, and then there's, like, Finding Neverland, and there are, like, all Christopher these... Christopher Walken's Pan. There, right, there's all these iterations of not clown... Pan's Labyrinth is something very different. Yeah. <laughs> you still should watch it, but very different. Uh, and so, uh, to be able to retell all of these things in um, different ways, I always found, like, so fascinating. And that's one of the things that we're going to get to later in it, but just, like, the 
potential in all of these characters and all of their reasonings and stuff. There's literally a book out there called um, The Child Thief. Hmm. It's about Peter Pan because he takes children from their homes and brings them to Neverland. And it is like, it is dark and dystopian. And if you ever, like, I couldn't get through it. One of my best friends, uh, she loves it. She loved it. She was like, this was great. And I just like got about a hundred pages in. I was like, "Mm, a little bit too dark for me. Can't handle it with children. We're good. Um, but like it, it, as a medium, like there's so many different things that it can tell. I remember there was a mini series a couple of years back that was like a retelling of how Hook became like James Hook became. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's the, the thing that I think has so much draw for me. I think yeah. that's the thing that really draws me to the story is that like, it's so malleable and it can be so many different things and yeah. yet the same. So I'm glad it's in the, um, commonwealth now what yeah. is that what is oh, the, the public domain the public domain yeah <laughs> it's in the commonwealth any anyone can make a pan thing yeah i was gonna say like the the the, the symbol of peter pan is very mm. interesting because it is it is both a nostalgic symbol right like it's a symbol for somebody who you know like a youth at heart you yes. know, someone who doesn't want to grow up like, kids just want to be kids people toys are us like michael jackson loved peter pan because he wa- he wanted to be a kid you know uh Steven Spielberg also was drawn to the character because that's something that he identified with. Mm-hmm. People talked about he's the Peter Pan of Hollywood. You know, he's the he's the big kid who never grew up. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, yeah, he, he Peter Pan is a very like can be a terrifying symbol too. Yeah. Because like when your growth is stunted, you know, and, and you don't grow up, and mm-hmm. you you know cast away your responsibilities, that's that's not a good thing. Either. Yeah. It's not a healthy thing. Yeah, and I think, like, any of the retellings that show uh, him as a kid are just, like, very... Like, if you read the book, he is a spoiled brat. He's just... He's like... He gets to do whatever he wants. He's literally the king of his own land, flying around, doing whatever. He's not... Like, him and Tinkerbell, who can only hold one emotion at a time. He's like Like, id. He's like the id. Yeah, you know, like... And there's so much you can do with that, right? Like, I think that's what the interesting thing is, having him grow up and become... Peter Calloway, different person, but Peter, you know what Peter I mean. Banning. Peter Peter Banning, and um and stuff like that, right? Like because it, it's like, oh, that's so the freeness of being a child and being free of responsibility. But like, we all know adults who shirk responsibility. Yep, and that's just that's all you are. You yeah. just don't grow tall. And then, and then like the idea of Peter Pan and Lost Boys can also be seen as like like Lord of the Flies almost, right? Like these are like animalistic children right? yeah like children can be terrifying they, they're like not can be are yeah they, <laughs> they they have no um they have no concept of right and wrong mm-hmm. right and really and they, they they have no inhibition they're they're cruel to each other because they have no like empathy right that's that's like peter pan and lost boys in some respects yeah 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 so that's my that's my my take on you know my literary take on Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Steven Spielberg, um, I guess his grandma used to read the novel Peter and Wendy to him as a child. Um, and he even directed a school production of Peter Pan when he was 11. Hmm. Yeah. Directed? Yeah. Uh, well, like, he like knew what he was going to do. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, like, he was always, he always identified with Peter Pan. That was, like, his thing, I guess. Um, so in the early 80s, Spielberg began to develop a Peter Pan film with uh, Walt Disney Productions, which makes sense because, like, I think when you ask most people, they think, what is the most popular adaptation of Peter Pan? It's Peter Pan, the Disney cartoon from the 50s, mm-hmm. right? 
Mm-hmm. That's what I would think so. That's oh. when I first heard of Peter Pan. I don't know. I that's the one I watched the least. Oh, okay. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Do your own research, <laughs> friends. Um, but Spielberg considered directing a musical with one Michael Jackson in the lead. Mm. Yeah, um, that would have been interesting. Something different. Yeah. Mm. This would have been in the eighties, so it's like eighties Michael. We've already done bad, right? Yeah, we talked okay, bad. Okay, we could not see Michael Jackson as bad even in his music video. Can I see him? He is a father. He wasn't a father at this point, was no, he? No, he was not. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't it would have been interesting. It would have. Like, I, Michael's not a good actor. No, like. <laughs> he can act something very... He can act Scarecrow very well. Yeah. But who knows? Like, if he had gotten into Peter Pan, maybe he would have just, like, really got into it. I don't That's know. That's fair. Maybe he would have gone full cage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been... Quite interesting. Like a grown-up Peter Pan, but it's Michael Jackson. Gosh, this is the second time Michael Jackson could have been a lead. Yeah, he could have been in Labyrinth as well. <sighs> I think, honestly, Hook is a better better fit for Michael than than Labyrinth was. He would have, it would have become a musical, though, because he would have been like, no, 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 we can do some, we can do some Peter Pan songs. Yeah. So anyway, Jackson expressed interest in the part, but he was not interested in Spielberg's vision of an adult Peter Pan. Ah, uh, fair. Yeah, so he like if if Jackson wanted to be involved, he wanted to do, go. He wanted to be full pan, full pan, full pan. <laughs> Leader of the Lost Boys. <laughs> yeah, but he's an adult. But not not in his mind. Yeah. Um, by 1985, pre-production had begun at Paramount with Hoffman already on board to play uh, Captain Hook, and uh, Spielberg then decided to drop out at this stage because of the birth of his son. Mm. So he said, "Baby, he's like, I, I can't, I can't do this." But production continued on at Paramount, and they brought in the last Starfighters director, Nick Castle, to mm. direct. I don't know what the last Starfighter is, but okay. Yeah, it's a very '80s movie. Oh, okay. I just, I was just like, oh, that guy. That's interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, by 1989, production had moved to TriStar Pictures. Rob, Robin Williams had signed on. To play Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. And Nick Castle got the boot in favor of a returning Steven Spielberg. Oh, well. Yep, because Spielberg, I guess his son uh, had aged a little bit. He yeah, had a little bit of. Now 90, you said? 89. Yeah, he had a little bit more time on his hands and decided, yeah, I'll come in and direct. <laughs> and from there, production really started and they made the movie that is now Hook. Oh, okay. Yeah, really not not that. Not too bad. Yeah, considering too bad. Considering some of the stuff that we've heard. Yeah, they, uh, I guess. The musical idea got, you know, got axed. They decided to make it. Oh, so it was going to be a musical. Like, at some point, and then they just kind of said, no, we're going to do a straight adventure. Straight film. Yeah, adventure movie. Because there is a song that's in it. Yeah. Um, And we were like, why? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then he brought in the the stage designer from Cats. McCavity! McCavity! (laughs) The, The... the the this guy yeah so there's a reason why when you watch hook all of the sets look like musical like production stage I mean, they're great it's probably one of the best we'll parts talk, of the movie we will but. talk about that absolutely but yeah so it's like the movie like has it has musical dna like you know live theater dna mm-hmm. but it's not that right 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 it's still very much a adventure movie <laughs> <laughs> hey but that's it let's talk let's talk about uh let's talk about some hook when did be when did it become a Disney thing? Because you said Paramount and then try No no no. So it was Disney at first okay. and then Disney I guess was like not interested or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it transitions to Paramount and then it transitions to TriStar. Okay. Yeah. 
So and, Disney's out. This is okay. not a Disney film. Okay, so that was the thing I was wondering because I know that uh, not now, but a little bit later down, Robin and Disney. Don't have, re- I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, they Robin's have, in this, and Dis- he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Robin Williams had a falling out with Disney in the early '90s, but yeah. not now. We're not here. We not are in the early '90s, but we're too early for that falling out. Correct. Um, so even if this was a Disney movie, Robin would still be on board. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's get into this movie. So as we mentioned, the movie is about an old Peter Pan. Uh, uh, um, older. Older. <laughs> he's, a, he's a family man. He's got two kids and a wife. And uh, he's very dedicated to his job. Yeah. As we're, I, I, I want to really focus on the first act of this movie, right? Like the first 40 minutes. It's a very long act. Because I think it, it's very boring for a child, unfortunately. But, it, but as an adult... It's the point of the movie I can dig my teeth into the most. <laughs> because in Stephen Cop to this, I guess, like he he doesn't like this movie all that much, but he said like he feels the strongest about the first act. Mm. Um because that's when he had the most to say. Right, so, right. In doing my research for this movie, and then in looking into other movies that we will talk about in the future, it seems like this this period of the early nineties, right? I would or just the, I think the nineties in general, right? The baby boomer generation had gotten old enough to start having kids, mm-hmm. right? My, my dad had me. <laughs> He's a baby boomer. And for some reason, there is a large group of adult baby boomer parents that all experience the same phenomenon. Mm. And that is something I like to call dad guilt. <laughs> Steven Spielberg had dad guilt. <laughs> because if, if we're going to say that he was like pouring himself into this Peter Peter Pan, like old Peter Pan, his name is Peter Banning, right? Mm-hmm. If Steven Spielberg is pouring himself into Peter Banning, I think the issues that Peter Banning is dealing with are the same issues that Peter Pan, or I'm sorry, the same issues that Steven Spielberg was dealing with yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point in his life when he had just had a kid, right? Like, Yeah, you know, like, but he wanted to get back to work when right? things he was passionate so about. So what would you just say, what is like Peter's biggest character flaw? Uh, that work is, comes first. He's dedicated to his job and he's not paying enough attention to his kids. Yeah. Right? And it's becoming detrimental to, to their relationship. They have terrible attachment issues. Want a meeting tomorrow, AM? Dad, my game. You promised. Listen, it's my son's big game. Last game of the season, Santa series. I gotta be there, I promise. So, we'll make it a short meeting. I'll be there, my word is my bond. He's t- he tells his son... I promise I'll be at your big game, baseball game. My word is my bond. <laughs> right? And this is like the first like two minutes of the movie. Yeah. Just establishes Peter's character. He is, he's way too much into his job and he's got this big old meeting he's got to be yeah. in. He's literally, he's having this conversation on his brick of a cell phone in <laughs> a play house while his daughter is on the stage doing a play. Peter, doing Peter and Wendy essentially. Yeah. But like, it's quiet. Uh, you hear like do 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 in the background, like an art teacher's playing the piano so that they can sing on beat or whatever, and he's just talking through it. Yep, and uh, his you could tell that this he's is like not present, but not present. He's this, there, but not present. This is not the first time this has happened. I think that's clear. Yeah, it's like he's disappointed his son more than once. Yeah, right, and then it ha- it happens again, like later on. Jack, next season I'm coming to six games. I promise. Yeah, be sure to buy enough videotape. Ooh. Jack. My word is my bond. 
That scene takes place on an air, airplane, <laughs> and uh, Jack is pouty and throws a baseball up at the where the he's... oxygen masks come down. Yeah, and scares him. But yeah, that that's he's what that sounds rightfully was. upset. Right, because his dad's promised, "Hey, I'll be at your game. It'll be a short meeting," and he ends up staying too long at the office, like just being like a doofy like businessman, right? Like yeah. he's, he's in the hallway. They're playing with their cell phones. Like the businessmen are like. Yeah, like, I'm sure he's good at his job, but he just gives too much attention there, as though that his career is his life rather than yeah. and he his ends up, family. He ends up missing Jack's game completely. big game. Like, so much so that, like, when he gets there, there's nobody at the outfield. You know how, like, people chill and hang and, ah, you know, there's not even, like, hey, have you seen Jack or Maggie? Have you seen my wife, Mora? More, more, Moira? Moira. And, like, no, there's dead no one. Not even anyone sweeping up stuff. Yep. So the whole family ends up... It's the holidays. So they ha- they're going to they're gonna fly to London uh, to visit Moira's grandma, Wendy. Yes. The, the Wendy. The Wendy. Of Peter and Wendy. Um, and the idea is this is going to be a big family vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, they're actually going to spend some real time together. And he's not... It's like he's not going to pick his phone up. He's not going to deal with the office. It's not a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. But of course, that's not that doesn't happen. Yeah, a five billion dollar deal falling apart because of this. Why didn't somebody just shoot me in the head? Bang! Bang! Well, everybody, just shut up. I'm sorry. And leave me alone for one moment more. Get him out of here, will you? I'm on the phone call of my life. Angry Dad. I called that clip because <laughs> he's. <laughs> I would have been about to be angry mom. Yeah. Like, I'm going to get the kids out of here because we're about to have a fight. This is correct. Yeah. You know, like, he's so self-involved in these things. Like, or not self-involved. You know, like, when you're doing something, you're like, I'm doing this for us. But you're you're not. You know, yeah. like, one point where it's just like, well, I want us to have a better life. Like, we we literally flew to England because we we wanted to visit my grand. We are good. <laughs> we're good. Um, You're doing this for you. Right. <laughs> and like Moira, his wife, like has a really good speech in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like we watched it, you looked at me and said, "You need to capture that clip for the show." <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, already on it." And like this, as far as like theming goes for this movie, I feel like this is the scene that has the most theme. Right? It's like, hey, it's folks, the most thematically sound. Yeah this this is Steven Spielberg and the writers. Like this is their thesis on. Like life, mm-hmm. like being a, being a now a now child rearing adult. Yeah, I never should have come here. I should have stayed till the deal was done. You haven't been here for ten years, though. Granny asked you to visit every year. I've been a little busy, Maura. You promised the children some real time here. I just got here. What are you talking about? Examine them all yet. It's not true. How many more broken promises, Peter? And she she throws his cell phone out the window. Yeah, she does. <laughs> Which I think is a valid response. Yeah. Did you get the end of the... I, sh- I sure did. Okay. Oh, sorry. You wanted to stop me. No, that, that was just saying. Your children love you. They want to play with you. How long do you think that lasts? Soon Jack may not even want you to come to his games. We have a few special years with our children when they're the ones that want us around. After that, you're going to be running after them for a bit of attention. So fast, Peter. It's a few years, and it's over. And you are not being careful. And he's like, that's real. Yeah. 
that is like the biggest thing. Yeah, like you're saying, it's it's the thesis of this entire movie, right? Um, and about like getting back there. It's almost like a Christmas Carol. Like, hey, wake up! You need to stop oh, being yeah. so scroogey and or and uh, whatever. You don't want to say you need yeah. to stop doing that, and then you're like, that's nah, fine, I'm fine, and then having to like be visited by all the deaths yeah. <laughs> or Christmases, and um, and that's the thing that really needs to like wake him up because sometimes like you can say like what she was saying was poignant. We don't even yeah. have kids, and it's just such a poignant real thing, right? And it still misses him. He's still like he's not there, right? And you know, like again, everyone like, Peter Banning. Spielberg and the writer, they're all suffering from dad guilt. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got some quotes from some of the people involved with the movie. And I, like I said, they had the most to say about this aspect of the film, which is why we're talking about it so much. But writer James V. Hart said, quote, in 1986, our family was having dinner and, and Jake, his son, said, Daddy, did Peter Pan ever grow up? And my immediate response was, no, of course not. And Jake said, but what if he did? And I realized that Peter did grow up, just like all of us baby boomers who are now in our 40s. I patterned him, out, I patterned him after several of my friends on Wall Street who wear the pirates, wear three-piece three suits, and ride in limos. <laughs> right? It's like, so, that's the thing. I'm not a baby boomer. I can't speak for them. Maybe I, you know, ask about it, I guess. But, like, it seems like this was a very, like, strong cultural touchstone for a lot of people. Or, yeah. or, or like, this is a generation-wide concern yeah or, yeah, yeah or something right where they're all they all feel alienated from their kids or they feel tempted to be alienated from their kids due to their jobs and, and whatever right mm-hmm. um spielberg said quote i think a lot of people today are losing their imagination because they are work driven they are so self-involved with their work and success and arriving um at the next plateau that children and family almost become incidental i have even experienced it myself when i have been very when I have been on a very tough shoot and I have not seen my kids except on weekends, they ask for my time and I can't give it to them because I'm working. The man's got dad guilt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and this is the most busy man in Hollywood we're talking about. Yeah, especially in the height of his powers. Yeah. So I feel like what they were trying to do is like that's the Peter that that's what they were using Peter Pan to get across. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, the 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 youthful like the, the symbol of youth has grown up just like everybody else and now yeah. he's now he's work driven and it's an issue. Yeah. Right? Like we all grow up to be the thing that we fear or, you know, despise the most. Like that's really what the story is telling. Yeah. Because in in the heart of it, right? Like um when they retell like when Peter's like, "I remember running away as an infant." Um it's he was like, "Yeah, my mom was talking to a friend about all the things that I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or blah, blah, blah. And it was really overwhelming for me. So Tinkerbell took me away as a three month year old baby. Cool. But the things that they're like, Oh, well, I'm not going to be a pirate. I'm not going to grow up to be selfish and stingy and like stop kids from like doing like things. I'll, but n- I'll never, ex- I'll never lose that youthful spirit. Yeah. I'll never lose that. And that's exactly what happens, right? Like yep. it's, it's not that like, Oh, I'm a lawyer. Or, like I had feared about or whatever. It's that like, in going after this thing as an adult, you lose that like spirit, that heart to just want to adventure to like go out, you know, like go yeah. on the weekends, climb a mountain. Don't do that. I mean, you can do that kids, but don't do that. Hmm. Um, go geocaching and, and find treasures places like do things with your 
kids to make keep them young and youthful to teach them the yeah. ways of these things support and like that's them. what's lost yeah support your kids and not like just yourself yeah 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 like support more than financially which i think is the thing right like for the boomer generation that i'm assuming like because one of the right like from their parents they got a lot of was it the 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 baby boomer generation that like got a lot of like financial support or something but like were emotionally distant <laughs> from their their parents yeah. because that was the silent generation was that not yeah, I don't the silent yeah. generation came before the baby boomers yes i don't i don't know how these generational names work so like things like that right like because you you we tend to like overcorrect in the ways that our parents mm-hmm. messed up in some way right like and none of us are perfect because we're humans and we're yep. and children Hey kids. And this is not test un- your patience. <laughs> this is not unique to the baby boomer generation. No. I just think it's funny like they all reached the age where they were struggling with this stuff mm-hmm. around this time. Like yeah. you know the the late 80s to the mid 90s they were all dealing with it. Just a few years ago a very large group of millennials were dealing with the exact same thing. I'm mm-hmm. a big I'm a big video game guy. I would play a lot of video games and in like the early 2010s like five or six video games all came out about a main character looking out for like a young child. Oh, like the last of us, the last of us, the walking dead game, mm-hmm. uh, even the God of war reboot that oh, came yeah, out a yeah, few yeah. years ago. It's all about like, you're a failed father. <laughs> I think it's a lot of dads, That's true. L- a lot of men in the game industry, but like, yeah, a lot of failed dads trying to like, you know, work through their own fatherhood in their, their art, just yeah. like just like Steven Spielberg was here. Fair, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's interesting. And then, so again, this lasts forty minutes of the movie, and I, I'm like, the problem is, this is interesting for me as an adult, and it's fun to talk about. But like as a little kid, I was like, this is just go to Neverland already. <laughs> <laughs> Why right? are we still here? So this needed to be. I, I feel like he couldn't have it both ways. You either need to tell a very interesting like drama about peter pan growing up Mm -hmm. or have it be a fun adventure in neverland yeah someone someone could do it it's possible to you know strike both you know strike a balance between both but this movie doesn't do it i don't think it's possible in a movie format maybe a miniseries yes or like they had a whole season in neverland in once upon a time Eh, maybe not a whole season but half a season i had stopped watching by that point but i did tune in for almost all the peter pan episodes because i was like what Yes, I'm here for this. But like that's that's a lot of work to do. Right. So at the end of this act, the plot happens. Uh-huh. Uh Captain Hook comes back, he invades our world and steals Peter's kids. He kidnaps Peter's kids and he takes them to Nether- Neverland and you know, we, we his his emergence is is ushered in with this line. Have to fly. Have to fight. Have to crow. Have to save Maggie. Have to save Jack. Hooky's back. Hook is it? Hooky's back or Hooky's back? I was. I said Hooky's back. Possibly. I don't know because Rufio says looky looky. I've got Hooky. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that by the way, that character was Toodles, a grown-up lost boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who lives with Maggie's like. Wendy lives Wendy. with Wendy. Yeah, sorry. He lo- he lives with Wendy. She like takes care of him, I guess. He was like her yeah. first orphan because she runs he was an orphanage. the only orphan that she couldn't place in a home, so she mm. kept him. Got it. She's like a son. Yeah. He's like a sunder. But yeah. anyway, yeah, so Even though they're very near the same age. That's who that was. But yeah, they announced that that Hook has taken Peter's kids and he has to go to Nether- Neverland to save them. 
But so he gets really drunk. <laughs> and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. He's forgotten who he is, and he doesn't know how to fly. Um, so Simba. He, he has to be dragged to Neverland by... Oh, you're waiting for me. Julia Roberts. Tinkerbell. <laughs> oh, it is you. It is. A big you. I guess it's not bad that you're big. You're always bigger than me. But now, maybe this means to be twice as much fun. Bora! Oh, Peter! What fun we'll have again. What times. What great games. This that is Julia Roberts playing Tinkerbell. Julia Roberts. Pretty good. Pretty good special effects, to be honest. Yeah. With, with, with little Julia Roberts. They make her a little tiny. Have her, like, walk around in a dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrifying. There's a scene where she confronts Captain Hook, and she's got a baby sword, and she's pressing it against Dustin Hoffman's nose. And his nose is moving. Yeah. Like a toothpick is in it. But anyway, so Tinkerbell drags Peter to Neverland, and we're introduced to the main bad guy, the antagonist, mm. Captain James Hook. I give you the steel and Stingray, Captain James As they continue to chant hook, hook, hook. Hook, hook, hook. <laughs> um, Dustin Hoffman plays Captain Hook. And uh, his Smee is Bob Hoskins. <laughs> Bob Hoskins played Eddie Valiant in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And he is like a completely different person. Yeah. Bob Hoskins might... Disappears into his characters. He's one of the greatest actors of our generation. And, yeah. I, and no one noticed. Is he in our generation? The generation before ours. <laughs> He's the greatest of his generation. Yeah. Captain Hook... Eddie Valiant, Super Mario. <laughs> he play- Super Mario is my favorite. He played a grizzled American, a, a happy Britishman, Englishman, and an Italian plumber in like four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And his best one was Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. He hated that one the he most. He did hate that one. But yeah, th- those two, they steal the show. Mm, yeah. Their scenes together are magical. Maybe that's why they called it Hook. That's why they called it Hook because <laughs> Dustin Hoffman just stole the show. It's the show, the showstopper. Sure, stopper. Yeah, uh, he, you know, like you're saying, he really did like still the show. He was like, excellent in it. I just they undercut a lot of the stuff, like the, a lot of the setup for. Oh, that's true. Uh, for Hook, like he, he's great and he's wonderful. Like he kills it if he's on. You're watching, but like all he's like the a, he's like a giant. Car- he's like a live action cartoon. Yeah, which is so like at odds with in the first half, right? Like when Hook takes him, like it's probably the like most terrifying like crime scene I've ever seen in that like children are gone and there are they're running up the stairs and there is just a single long scar going all the way up the stairs through the wall and the plaster the the wallpaper wallpaper. Um, and it's of his hook and it's just like you could imagine someone walking slowly up dragging it you would assume it was a knife to get your children yeah like locks are busted and and people who are in it are screaming and crying on the ground like that mess is like somebody came in here and did a very bad thing. In true Steven Spielberg fashion, like th- this sequence we're talking about, where Hook actually steals the children, is done very well. It's very suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Like Steven will like focus the camera on like certain objects in the room. Like there's a, a chandelier that's like has little hooks like dangling down. There's a, a like there's a, a hook that keeps the window closed mm-hmm. that slowly opens of its own accord. Yeah, and like there's a ship in a bottle. That's just like prominently featured and every like it's very tense, it's moody, yeah, and it's terrifying, like just said. And then as soon as Hook gets introduced, he is a buffoon. Yep. In 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 like the Disney tradition, because he's a buffoon in the original Disney it's movie. Not too. a Disney movie. 
You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, 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 yeah. He reminds me of that version of Captain yeah. Hook. So it's like really like, and Dustin, Dustin kills it. Uh, he's great. He's doing a great job. It's just a different hook. So it takes you a second to like get your brain to be like, wait, what are we doing? Okay, this is the hook we have. Yep. And uh, I, because at, at Jess's insistence, I grabbed this clip of Captain Hook. Oh, me, what a superb idea I've just had. Tomorrow I'll make Pan's brats love me. Oh, Peter Pan will fly again. You'll remember how. And if he doesn't, those dirty lost boys will jog his memory. Oh, yes, you'll see. He'll crow, he'll fight, he'll fly, and then he'll die. <laughs> One of the greatest laughs in cinema, I think we can both agree. Yes. <laughs> You didn't get it, did you? I did you? not get Jimmy Carr's laugh. <sighs> I'm just going to look it up yeah. and play it in the microphone. Jimmy Carr also has the best laugh in the business. Look up Jimmy Carr's laugh. Not his stand-up, kids. That is too racy for you. But... Jimmy Carr's laugh. Jimmy Carr's laugh. Will cure cancer. <laughs> Rich Evans' laugh. Will hurt your ears. <laughs> but you should also look that up. <laughs> so anyway, he James Hook explained his end of the plot here. Uh, while Peter Pan has returned to Neverland... He needs to remember who he is. He needs to learn to fly to get his children back. Mm-hmm. Learn to, you know, have his imagination again. And in the meantime, Hook will try to turn Peter's kids against him. Yep. He, I will make Peter's kids love me. That's the actual plan. That's the plot. And it takes two and a half hours to get there. Yeah, 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 it does. It very much again, does. Again, so the first act is about 40 minutes. This, this whole movie is two and a half hours long, so there's an hour and a half of movie left. Yeah. For two hours or whatever. Yeah. Almost two hours left of movie where Peter Pan has to learn to be Peter Pan again and Hook needs to convince these kids to love him. Yep. That's the movie and it takes too dang long. <laughs> too dang long. <laughs> too dang long. <sighs> it Yeah, it is a bit of a trek. I, I need to, okay. Peter Pan, he goes to visit the Lost Boys. Right? Mm-hmm. Classic Peter Pan stuff. They visit the Lost Boys and they don't recognize him. They see him as an old man. Mm-hmm. That ain't Peter Pan. He's old. He's fat. Not so fat to me. He's an old fat grandpa man. He's an old fat grandpa man. <laughs> and basically, for the next hour, Peter needs to convince these little boys that he is indeed Peter Pan. Then they need to teach him how to fly again. He's afraid of heights. He's afraid of heights. Then, once he has like learned to be a child again and learns to fly, then he goes too deep into it. <laughs> and he needs to be taught again how to be Peter Banning. And then he has children that he needs to save. Yeah, because he forgets his kids completely. He's like, I'm uh, never going to grow up. Honey, you are, you are, you have hair everywhere. You are a, you are a grown Robin Williams. <laughs> and here's where the movie just fumbles completely. Mm-hmm. It just like drags on so long. Yeah. And Peter, like, I'm like, he didn't need this extra character arc. As long as, like, yeah, the, the you know, the the, the dad guilt, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he overcomes his dad guilt. He learns to be a, a child at heart again. Yeah. And he realizes that he can't forget his kids. That's it. That's all he needed to learn. And it could have been done in another 40 minutes. It could yeah. have been done in 30 minutes. Yeah. But it doesn't. It just tracks on forever. And he has to go through another character arc where it's like, no, you're Peter Pan now, but now you're too much Peter Pan. You've got to be a little banning. Peter Pan banning. Peter Pan banning. No, Viva La banning. 
Viva la banning. Also, can I say this married man kisses uh, four women women that are not his wife? And there's a possible fifth, because I don't care what you say, there was a little bit too much tension between Grandma Wendy and Peter. Mm. Old McGonagall herself. (laughs) I didn't even get a clipper. I got Wendy right here. What, what, what is so terribly important about your terribly important business? Well, you see, when a big company's in trouble, mm. Dad sails in, and if there's any resistance... Well, he's exaggerating. I, I'm still in the mergers and acquisitions, any and I'm resistance. dabbling in some, some uh, land development. Any resistance! <laughs> and he blows them out of the water! <laughs> so, Peter, you've become a pirate. You've become a pirate. Because l- lawyers are the pirates of today. That's true. Yep. Also, yeah, that little boy did a good job. He was directed well, but he did like he very much felt like that kid. He, he kid. <laughs> that little kid. You in that clip? You could tell he he said his line too early. He said his <laughs> line like before Wendy was supposed to say her line, and, and like Robin was just like, "Shut up." <laughs> <laughs> like, hold on, let me cover your face. He like blow the pot just any. Yeah. Any, but, but that felt very kid. Yeah, it's very kid like. And uh, speaking of him being a lawyer, we I love this clip here. It's like the only laugh I got <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> I'm not a pirate. So happens I am a lawyer. Kill the lawyer! I'm not that kind of lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> so the Lost Boys want to kill him, and he has to convince them that he's Peter Pan. And that's and the not that kind of lawyer. <laughs> that's the that's the movie. Yeah. I want to talk about like production design for this movie. Okay. Because like I mentioned, they brought in the guy from Cats to design the sets. And these sets are extravagant. Yeah. Extravagant. Gorgeous. They're like, there are two big sets when he gets to Netherland. There's the like pirate village in the big pirate ship. Mm-hmm. And then there's the like Lost Boys. Tree house. Tree house area. Yeah. So these two sets are humongous with like... So the pirate set has a, like, it looks to scale pirate ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nets that swing back and forth. There are dudes on trapeze and a giant dock and a town square with a giant alligator. Clock. (laughs) Big Ben. Big Al. Yeah. And then the Lost Boys set is, it's great. There's a a roller coaster type contraption on set. Every, like, season is represented, so, like, spring, They got summer. a half-pike. They got penguins running around, animatronic, like, flowers. Yeah. They got, yeah, they got skateboard, skate park. They um, got a basketball courts. It's insane. <laughs> and they, they pumped so much money into this thing. Yeah. So much money. Like, I was looking at it. The original production budget was 48 million bucks. But they doubled that. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and that's, honestly, that's not even all that much compar- compared to today's movies, but still. Still. Yeah. So I, I've heard, like, a common criticism of the sets in this movie. Like, Roger Ebert, Grandpa Ebert said, uh, it looks fake. You know, it looks like a movie set. Mm-hmm. But I think as years have gone on where every movie is filmed on blue screen, mm-hmm. right, with digital, you know, just digital assets everywhere, I'm like, dude, this looks like the realest movie I've ever. <laughs> like, everything you see on screen Real, it was really there. Yeah. Robin Williams walked there. One day we're going to be rich enough to get that whole thing in our backyard. No. We're going to have a backyard big enough for a whole pirate ship and a... We won't because we a have Lost to Boys it. skate park. <laughs> so, like, 
to me, just going and like marveling at the the pure scale of this production is worth it. At mm. least, like, just see pictures of the set; it's insane. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm telling you, like th- that like pirate ship set is better than any like Mandalorian set. <laughs> like okay. for real, I get it. I I'll mean, take that over. I'll take that over the like the the Mandal can... the Mandalorian like you know uh, digital set machine that mm. they have any day. I I, I give me the hook set. <laughs> Because you can actually play in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Swing I, I, around, get on a a, a a windboard roller coaster, scream bangerang. I, I I forgot to get the bangerang clip. That's that is something that they do. <laughs> bangerang. Yeah, all of the Lost Boys they they yell bangerang when somebody does something cool. And we're introduced to the lead Lost Boy, Rufio, mm-hmm. who we've mentioned before. Rufio. 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 Oh. Back when I used to work at UPS, there was a guy named Rubio, <laughs> and one of the one of the guys I worked with would yell at him, "Rubio!" <laughs> I'm sure he loved that. That's eh, fine. <laughs> so that we we've covered the plot, we've yeah. covered the, the production team. Like really, the last hour of this movie is dedicated to a big fight scene between the Lost Boys and the Pirates. Yeah, and it goes on too long. This whole movie could have been cut down in, into half. Like cut. Yeah, cut definitely, it definitely could have. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I was like, "There's a whole scene we're not talking about where there's a baseball game. There's a whole oh scene. Oh my gosh, I forgot that even happened. Where where we smash clocks. There's um, a food fight scene. There is a food fight scene. I, I, we, we should talk about the food fight scene okay. in a second. But yeah, it seems like this movie is like a a bunch of vignettes. Yeah, but they're they're all too long. Yeah, because and like, they just kill the pacing of the movie. Yeah, because even right, so we already talked about the whole first act, and the second act is him getting pulled into Neverland. But like how that goes, right, is like he wakes up, and we spend like three or four minutes of him just being awake uh, and like bewild, like bewildered, and then Tinkerbell like has him put on a, a costume so he can blend in with the pirates, and then we have like five to ten minutes of like Hook just talking while Peter is there listening. Uh, until he's like, we've got his kids. And then we have a whole negotiating scene that goes on for another 10 minutes before he's dumped in the water and making out with mermaids. And then we meet the um, Lost Boys. And then we are there forever. Um, doing all these different, like, they're just pots. And then the the montage of trying to train him on how to fly and how to be pan and how to remember. And then it's just like peace and peace. And yeah. then with all of that, stuff to- that we've completely left out is like the side things of like Hook, brainwashing the children those are whole other scenes that take forever <laughs> yep and it's it's like they just threw in everything like the scripts needed to be cut down yeah i feel like they were just like well wouldn't it be cool if this happened it like, would wouldn't be, it be cool like and no. then and then and then and then right it's it's almost it, it feels no like and a, then. it feels like a little kid did write this you know mm-hmm. i feel like you know hey mom mom and then this happened and then this happened mom and then, mom, and then this happened right and it's just like it just keep happening yeah like it, it's it's not fun to watch I'm like, so I was like re-looking at the movie from an editing perspective, right? And from a writing perspective, right? Like, some, there are some things in this movie just redundant, right? Wendy, there, there is like a good five minute, ten minute scene where Wendy, as an old lady, is trying to jog, jog. Trying to convince. Yeah, trying to jog Robin Williams' character that you're Peter Pan. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, what are you talking about? Who am I? And she like opens a book and shows him a picture of Peter Pan. She's like, you're Peter Pan, right? <laughs> and I'm like, so... That's where the character first is confronted with the idea that he's Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. 
there is a scene almost exactly the same with Captain Hook, where Captain Hook does the same thing. He's like, you're Peter Pan. You're- There's also a scene with Tinkerbell. There's two with Tinkerbell yeah. doing the same thing. You're, you're, you're Peter Pan. You're pa- I can't be Peter Pan. And it's like the same thing over and over and over again. I'm like, guys, what, you know, only you only need one. Yeah. You only need one of those. It's okay. Like that, it could have just been Tinkerbell telling him, hey, you're Peter Pan. Yeah. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she knocks him out and drags him to Neverland. Yep. Um, he didn't need a scene with Wendy. He didn't need another scene with Hook. Cat Hook. Hook and Shmee. Yeah. We enjoyed Shmee, though, because he said, that's Peter. <laughs> Pe- that's Pan, all right, or I've got a dead man's dingley. That's Peter Pan, or I've all got a dead man's dingley. <laughs> that's much better. That's much better how you did that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, let's talk about the food fight scene. I know we're jumping all over the place, folks, but... Watch the movie it feels for two that, and a half hours. It feels that way when you're watching the movie. You're just <laughs> getting thrown around. Yeah. Like, why am I in this scene? Why is why is Captain Hook trying to kill himself? What's going on? Oh yeah, that was a fun scene. Stop my shmee shmee. So. so the the food fight scene is important because this is the moment where Peter finally becomes a, a kid again. He finally mm-hmm. realizes that he can have imagination. So they're at the dinner table. Imagination. He's with the Lost Boys. They're having like this big banquet feast, and all of the dishes are empty. But the f- kids are like digging in as if they're eating. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, there's no food here. What am I supposed to do? Right? And then it goes like this. If you can't imagine yourself being Peter Pan, you won't be Peter Pan, so eat up! Eat what? There's nothing here. Gandhi ate more than this. Don't you remember? This used to be your favorite game. Forget the games. I want some real food. I want steak. I want eggs. I want a cup of coffee. You can't! Eat your heart out, you crinkled, wrinkled, fat cat! So, and then Rufio initiates an insult fight. Yes. <laughs> like a Yo Mama fight. <laughs> Such young voice, boy. <laughs> remember that MTV show, Yo Mama? <laughs> It was, yeah. a lot of, it, it was very much like this. So Rufio starts insulting Pan, and the Lost Boys are, like, really into it. You're a very ill-mannered young man. You're you know a slug that? anymore. Come on, you can do better than that. I can't believe you're encouraging this. Yes, yeah, yeah, show me your fastball dust brain, you paunchy sag bottom puke pot. Bang-a-ring, Rufio! bang Rufio! So ba- Rufio's doing fine, and then Peter gives it a try, and he's got dad jokes. <laughs> You are a very poor role model for these kids. Do you know that? I bet you don't even have a fourth grade reading level. Immortal suck navel. Well, maybe a fifth grade reading level. <laughs> Boil dripping, beef fart sniffing, bubble butt. And then, Peter reaches deep inside himself to find imagination. Substitute chemistry teacher. Come on, Rufio, hit him back. Mong Math tutor? Pinhead. Prison barber? Muddle lover? Nearsighted gynecologist? In your face, camel cake! In your rear, cow derriere? Lion crying, spying, prying, ultra pig! You lewd, crude, rude, bag of pre-chewed food, dude? Make a right, Peter! Yay! <laughs> so Peter digging deep and calling Rufio a rude, crude, dude, pre-chewed food, dude. <laughs> Gives him the power of, of a child, and he's able to see the, 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 the magical feast in front of him, and he's become Peter Pan again. Yay! Through the power of insults. This should be the end of Act 2, and it's not. <laughs> he still needs to also learn to fly, and then also not to be Peter Pan again. Yep. He needs to learn his happy thought. It's, it t- takes forever! Sorry. It does take a long I, I don't want to like harp on that too much, but it really does take for freaking ever. It does take a very long time. And like, the emotional high of the... the the plot, right? Like him overcoming, right? That that character flaw, right? Seamlessly should move into the climax of the film, right? The rising action reaches its crescendo and then you come back down. That is the food fight scene. Right. 
because there's a big swelling music and John Williams' score goes off the, the rails and you're very happy and he's, he's seeing magical food and he starts a food fight and all the Lost Boys recognize him as Peter Pan. Woo. He should have just started flying right there. Yeah. And then we, we would have saved 30 minutes. <laughs> but that's, that's what happened. It's not how it goes. Oh, so what do you, I know you had some like writing responses to Hook, right? Yeah, I think like because it's a two and a half hour movie and you have so many characters. Yeah. That you could spend time like. We haven't even talked about the kids really. Yeah. We haven't, we have not talked a single lick about Maggie the daughter. Nope. And the movie, the movie forgets about her too. Yes. And that's the point. Like, that's what I'm, that's what I wanted to say. Right. Like there's so many, like with two hours, why didn't we get to spend any time with Rufio? Why didn't we get to spend any time with Rufio? It's true. Do we know any, the only thing we know about Rufio is he's a good, he's good at insults. He took over after Pan left. That had to be like a minimum of 30 years. He's been running them however they run him. However, he, like, even if he was just like, yeah, I don't believe you're paying and I'm going to do like, why didn't we spend any time even seeing how yep. like things are run like yep. from this point of view one, one, whatever. It's because we they, only, sorry, they threw in too much into the, the, yeah. the, the, the script already. Yeah. So this is the, yeah, I like they did throw too much in, but I'm like, we could have cut a lot of stuff, but they've threw too much in, but like with these more things, like that's what I'm saying about like the the moldability of stories like this um, that like make you want more and which is why this, this film feels so unsatisfactory and like so much um, potential is lost. Right. Like, yep. because there's that. And then there are like thud, but who we spend a good amount of time with. And then after Peter leaves with his kids, because Rufio is dead, we need to leave someone else in charge. And this time he's actually leaving someone in charge and he's choosing thud, but we only get, two scenes two, of them like talking together together so we're like so why or the littlest lost boy that first recognized yeah, the, peter pan the only one who's like this is peter right and then we get to spend time with um the son whose name i can't even be jack. bothered to remember jack uh we spend like time with him with um hook, hook which like that flushes out that character like yeah it, that is a really interesting thing like hey your kids will do like if your kids can't find love from you they will find it other places right and it might be a pirate like a lawyer <laughs> you know and so like that that's like something that's but literally it's like the little girl's like no i'm never gonna forget mommy and daddy and then gets dragged <laughs> off and we never see her again <laughs> the but i also her. but i also think it's so interesting because like when they're at the very beginning, Maggie, they're at Maggie's play, and she's, like, not really in the scene whatsoever, but she's doing her thing. And then when they're at Jack's baseball game, she's sitting here eating, and she's just like, yeah, he's not going to show up. Like, she's, like, the younger child, and it's just like, this is just what it is. I can love Dad from afar, if that's how it is. Like, if this yep. is, like, my expectation of him, that's what it is. And we have Mom, and we're good, you know? So, like, when she was like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna forget my dad. Like, you kidnapped us. You've done that. Like, she has a head on her shoulder. She has still an avoidant attachment style. But, like, cool. And, like, being able to have spent some time with her, right? Like, spent some time with, like, all these characters that we... we, we This uh, should have been a TV show. It should have. It should have been a miniseries. I would love to see this redone as a miniseries. But anyway, all this to say, right? Like, like in the world is so it could be big like yeah. again you should just read the book um or not actually um but obviously i went to fan fiction to see like what was there i didn't spend a lot of time i like read more like 
the titles and synopsis and see what I wanted to go through. There was, but there was one that like I wanted to read, uh, but the writing style just didn't fit my tastes. I just didn't look like it wasn't bad. It's just not what I particularly care for. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like, again, I returned to Neverland kind of thing, but it was, um, like six or 10 years later and it was Maggie returning to Neverland and her mom getting dragged along. And I was like, that would have been so interesting because yeah. Moira was such an interesting character that we spent four scenes with, yep. you know, where she was just like, okay, kids, let's get out. And then I'm like, I don't care that you make the money. You spend time with your freaking kids. I will throw this phone outside into the ice and snow. Oh, what now? Like she was a strong female character right? that was disregarded so quickly, you know, and it's yeah. like things like that. There was one, um, fic that I did read that was only one chapter and, and it was supposed to obviously be a multi-chapter fic, but um, the person only put up one chapter in 2016. I wish I had read that before um, because the, the premise like was focusing on Rufio and on like a completely different thing, which was like, oh, the, the idea of mermaid lore. And it's saying like, oh yeah, the mermaids of the lagoon were not what actual mermaids were like. It's a subset like and saying like mermaids come in all shapes, sizes and colors, much like fish and that don't necessarily always look like very humanoid. They've yeah. got different things. And like the lore just in the first chapter that this author built was so interesting and so like cool. And it was about like a, a, a kind of a loner, I guess, uh, mer, mer person because they even, ugh, even in it, it was just like mer people, whatever, don't necessarily see gender the same way. Like it's, movable and that made so much that was like really interesting because like fish do that right yeah, like yeah. fish will be like there's not enough females i guess i'm gonna be a female now or there's not enough males like it was just like oh i haven't really thought about that but it wasn't about that it was just like about this deep lore and then making a friendship with like a lost boy and exploring this like fantastical fantastical yeah. world and, and it all came out of hook Huh? It all came out of hook yeah and so it's just kind of like there's so much potential to be able to do more with these characters, more with these characters, um, and more with like, like really fleshing out. Not in, like I wouldn't want this to be a four-hour movie. I would like it to be a six-hour miniseries. Yeah, I would. I, I, it would have been better. Yeah, better suited for that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Stephen, we love you. Try and again. That's the thing. I bet you because it's Steven Spielberg in 1991, no one told him no. Yeah. So maybe there was concern. Maybe like you know the the script editor. Like, wanted to say, hey, Steven, this script's too long, dude. And Michael Jackson said this isn't the way to go. It's like, not nah, a. <laughs> but they were all too scared to say anything to him. Yeah. That's possible. I don't know. That's fair. Try yeah. again. But hey, that's that's really Hook. Uh, as the, mo you know, the movie resolves, it's Peter Pan overcoming Captain Hook. It's a tale as old as time. Boo. <laughs> also, that fic was called by Lander C by Plague Moose. Plague the one Mo I liked. Shout that was only one chapter. Shout out to Plague Moose. Um, but hey, let's let's talk about the legacy of Hook. Okay. All right. With a worldwide box office of three hundred point nine million bucks, Hook was the sixth highest grossing film of nineteen ninety one in the U S. and the fourth highest grossing film worldwide. Oh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, the studio, however, still declared it a financial disappointment. Well, um, they probably pumped too much money into the production. That's probably why. I wonder why. <laughs> So, additionally, Hook is currently the sixth highest-grossing pirate-themed film, just behind every movie in the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Those movies are bad, and I hate them. But they make a lot of money. <laughs> um, so that that's pretty interesting. That Hook is number two if you only count pirates 
Caribbean as one. Uh, critics were not high on Hook. Um, in fact, it is the lowest rated Steve- Steven Spielberg directed project on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, wow. At 29%. Wow. Yeah, it's worse than The Terminal. <laughs> uh, Grandpa, e- Grandpa Ebert said, The failure of Hook is its inability to reimagine the material, to find something new, fresh, urgent to do with Peter Pan. Lacking that, Spielberg should simply have remade the original story straight for this generation. And I, in, in some respects, I was like, yeah, I kind of agree with that. No. Should have um, just anteed up on the, the Rufio. <laughs> he should have, I feel like Steven should have either done that or leaned more into the Peter Pan as an adult thing. Mm. Right? Just had to be, have it be a straight drama for adult, like adults, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, and Rolling Stone magazine felt it would, quote, only appeal to the baby boomer generation. <laughs> Fair. They all have the dad guilt. I think you mean the <sighs> dad, dad guilt. guilt. <laughs> Spielberg has admitted to not liking Hook himself, <laughs> saying in 2018, "I felt like a fish out of <laughs> hey fish out of water. Boo. I felt like a fish out of water making Hook. I didn't have confidence in the script. I had confidence in the first act, and I had confidence in the epilogue. I didn't have confidence in the body of it." I didn't quite know what I was doing, and I tried to paint over my insecurity with production value. The more insecure I felt about it, the bigger and more colorful the sets became. You must have been very insecure. Yeah, because those are some colorful sets. And huge, huge mungus. But Hook was nominated for five Oscars, including Best Production Design, Best Costume Design, Best Visual Effects, Best Makeup, and Best Original Song. What was the original song? I think it was... Not the one Maggie said. I, I bet it was like a... a, a like a Robin Williams instrumental or something. Okay. Just yeah. Robin Williams play. Not Robin Williams. What am I saying? Uh, John Williams. Ah. Good on John Wick. And uh, Dustin Hoffman was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor for Comedy. And Julia Roberts was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress at the Golden Raspberry Awards. Wick. But it, was, it wasn't just because of Hook. She had been in other stinkers that year. <laughs> so it was just all grouped into one. As for the legacy of Hook... Hook has spawned things like action figures, a comic book adaptation, and a video game. In 2012, as I mentioned earlier, the character, a character heavily inspired by Rufio and Dante Bosco the actor, appeared in the webcomic Homestuck. <laughs> uh, Dante Bosco even provided the voice for this character in a fan-made Let's Read of the comic last year in 2020. Oh, cool. Yeah. So can I read that, or or can I watch that, or will that mess with the effect your head uh, Watch Watch voices? it away from me. Well... <laughs> You can watch that particular one because, yes, when I read Rufio, the character from Homestuck, I just hear him in Dante Bosco's voice. Like, there's no other way to do you. Do you hear that. him in young Dante Bosco voice or Rusty, the new Fire Lord voice? That one. <laughs> um, and in 2020, um, Dante Bosco revealed that he's currently working on an animated prequel series about Rufio. Oh, I would watch that. Yeah, I'm excited. Depending for on that. who wrote it. So, interesting. Interesting. Who, yeah, it depends on who, who yeah, wrote it. Yeah, I don't know all the details, but. That sounds interesting. And since this is the only Steven Spielberg-directed movies that we're going to cover on Media Made, I figured let's look at the man himself and where he went from here. Steven Spielberg has been nominated for 17 Academy Awards, winning three. He won Best Picture and Best Director for Schindler's List. Uh. Nope. And he won Best Director for Saving Private Ryan. Um, He also won multiple Golden Globes, BAFTAs, and Emmys. Nice. Yep. Uh, He's received a Lifetime Achievement Award from... The Directors Guild of America, the Chicago International Film Festival, and the Visual Effects Society. Life Magazine named uh, named him the most influential person of his generation. Premiere Magazine ranked him in first place on their list of 100 most powerful people in movies. Empire Magazine ranked him number one 
on a list of the greatest film directors of all time, and Time listed him as one of the 100 most important people of the century. So, congratulations, Stephen. You're done good. It's Stephen! Steven Spielberg universe. (laughs) Uh, We will certainly... It was his universe for a while. We'll certainly talk about Steven Spielberg again on the show, but this is our last time talking about his director credits. Mm -hmm. So, hope you enjoyed that. Yeah. Hey, but that's the end of our first segment here. Um, And we're gonna we're gonna come back after the break with another doozy, another big film. So look forward to that. We're gonna close out this segment. There's no other song to do it with, but "Bangerang" by Skrillex. Oh dear. (laughs) So with that, we'll see you on the other side with my movie of 1991. (laughs) TriStar Pictures and Steven Spielberg bring you a remarkable new film. Don't you know who you are? That will stir the imagination. Where are we going? Neverland. And touch the heart. I believe in you. This holiday, give your family the gifts of wonder, magic, and enchantment. Robin Williams, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, and Dustin Hoffman as Hook. Rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you. back we're coming in with a piece of the timeless score from my film of 1991 2017's no not that one <laughs> excuse me hey, before we hold on before we even i even reveal what the movie is you've seen the title you know what the movie is but <laughs> they used this exact piece of music in the trailer for that 2017 remake and it got me so excited. I was like, you hear this music, you're like, I'm like, I'm down with this. I, I want to see that movie. You're so cute. That movie sucks. I hate it. <laughs> that 2017 remake is garbage. Um, but the score is excellent. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> released November 22nd, 1991, featuring the voice talents of Paige O'Hara, Robbie Benson, Richard White, and Angela Lansbury. Directed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise, we have Beauty and the Beast. Or Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Belle et Albette. Belle et Albette. <laughs> Fra- France. Uh, Française. Française. So, um, yeah. We're, we're here, ladies and gentlemen. It's <laughs> we've the, arrived. We've arrived at the Disney Renaissance. Like, we've, we've flirted with it. We, we talked DuckTales last year. We flirted with it. But this is the first official, like, film that we're going to be talking about from the Disney renaissance of the of the 90s. Right. And dang, this is, I think this might be the high point of the Disney renaissance. Okay. The, the Lion King is great. Love the Lion King. Um, love Aladdin. But Beauty and the Beast is, like, so freaking good. <laughs> and I know you disagree with me, but. I don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you disagree with me. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I as with many Disney films, I watched this movie a ton as a kid. Um, when the clamshell VHSs started coming out, like my mom would just buy up the the ones that she liked, right? Mm-hmm, as a kid, I don't even know as a kid, just the ones that she res- like connected to. So she bought Pon- she bought Pinocchio. It's called Nanook. I couldn't say Pinocchio. Called it Nanook. That's adorable. <laughs> Shout out to Nanook. Nanook. Um, she bought Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, and then I guess. That's the thing. Back when you're a kid, all these Disney movies, you think they all came out at the same time, right? But no, they're like 70 years difference or mm-hmm. whatever. So I think because Beauty and the Beast carries on that tradition of the princess film, like my mom also bought the VHS for Beauty and the Beast, right? Mm-hmm. And she liked it a bunch. Yeah. And, I, and that's the thing. Like, even though it's a princess movie, like I watched it a bunch and I like it a lot. And yeah. I appreciate it even more here as an adult because it, it's just like excellently crafted on every level like writing songs animation excuse me <laughs> you can't deny the animation of this movie is not great the animation is great yeah <laughs> did you when when did you watch this movie was ah, it probably existent? sometimes one of my, my second sister really loves she i don't think she loved beauty and the beast the, but she the loved one that Belle's, was born this year yes the one that was born in this year loved the bell's dress so I know I've I know I've saw it. Like I'm pretty sure she saw it at a friend's house or something. I not that like I I don't feel like we owned a lot of Disney movies. We may have eventually owned that one because she like talked about it so much, but I don't know. I just know I've seen it. I don't know when. <laughs> yeah. Like when I went to Disneyland for the first time, at least the first time I ever remember going to Disneyland, this was I think they had just started like piecing putting like attractions and like decorations in that for the beauty and the beast. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I remember beauty and the beast being prominent and that's probably because it took them a little while to develop the stuff that they would put in Disneyland related to beauty and the beast. Right. Right. So it took a few years, which is why when I got there, it was all brand new. So like beauty and the beast was very much prominent at Disneyland at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, shout out to Disneyland. They don't need a shout out. Mm. Disneyland shout us out. <laughs> Give us some of that Disney clout. Yeah. Not really. I don't want it. Okay, so normally we describe what the movie's about. I mean, if you don't know, I don't... Where have you been? <laughs> like the... If you don't know, just go watch the 2017 version of no! it. I'm pretty sure it's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, yeah, Beauty and the Beast, it is, quote, a tale as old as time. But... Really, it's a tale as old as my second sister. I actually, so, I actually wanted to give something a try. And if it doesn't work, we'll never do it again. But I have here written... Can I have a safe word? <laughs> I have here written the... That um, wasn't a no. I have here written the prologue to the film. Mm-hmm. The, the like legend they tell at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to read it. Dramatic reading, ladies and gentlemen. Go. So hold on. Let's get, let's get this music started up again. My safe word is octopuses. Garden? Huh? Octopuses garden? <laughs> My safe word is... Um... Go ahead. Oh, my safe word is uh, potatoes and molasses. Oh, dear. All right, so got the music. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. Although he had everything his heart desired, the prince was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. But then, one winter's night... An old beggar woman came to the castle and offered him a single rose in return for shelter from the bitter cold. (laughs) The prince sneered at the gift 
and, le- and turned the woman away. But she warned him not to be deceived by appearances, for beauty is found within. <laughs> and, when he sh- and when he dismissed her again, the old woman's ugliness melted away and revealed an in- beautiful enchantress. <laughs> the prince tried to apologize, but it was too late, for she had seen that there was no love in his heart. <coughs> and as punishment, she transformed him into a hideous beast and placed a powerful spell on the castle. Ashamed of his monstrous form, the beast concealed himself inside his castle. With the ma- with a magic mirror as his only window to the outside world, the rose she had offered was truly an enchanted rose, which would bloom until his twenty-first year. If he could not find, if he could not learn to love another, and earn her love in return, by the time the last petal fell, then he would, then the spell would be broken. If not, he would be doomed to remain a beast for all time. As the years passed, he fell into despair and lost all hope, for he could, for who could ever learn to love a beast? You were the cutest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, and I'm glad I snatched you up off of the street. <laughs> street rat. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, depending on how the wall that works, it, you're either hearing it or you're not. <laughs> you definitely keep that in. That was excellent. Yeah. Keep it in. So, that is the legend that is said at the very beginning of the movie. The old man, the, <coughs> the old British man reads it exactly that way. Exactly that way. <laughs> Flubs and all. <laughs> and, uh, from there, the story is about a, 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 a beauty who encounters this beast, moves into his castle, and they must learn to love each other so that the spell can be broken. It's a fairy tale. That's it. Is spell really beautiful? She's the most beautiful girl in town. Yes. <laughs> and that's that. So let's get into the making of this movie because it is very, very involved. Go ahead. I'll sit here with my tea. <laughs> this segment, you're going to be doing a lot of listening to me. <laughs> that, whole, that whole intro. Hey, kids. I'm just like you. Let's listen to Uncle Rodney together. Okay, so this is a continuation of some other Disney films that we've talked about so far. So under the leadership of CEO Michael Eisner, President Frank Wells, Chairman Roy E. Disney, and motion picture division head Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, the Walt Disney Company saw a growth period during the 1980s, right? So we've talked all about it. Yeah. We've talked their uh, expansion into TV with DuckTales and the Disney Afternoon we talked about the blooming success of home video and uh, Disneyland and Katzenberg specifically has gotten into the, the animation film division and like kicked him in the butt and said, Hey, let's get this going. We, we, need, have to, we need to fix about this. Yes. We need to wake up sleeping beauty. So after the success of Oliver and company and who framed Roger Rabbit, Katzenberg and Disney hatched a plan to release one Disney feature animation movie every year, one a year hoping to kick off a renaissance period for the company and its animation features division. That was a Katzenberg line. He wanted to spark a renaissance. Rebirth. As a person that puts content up once a week, that is like harrowing. Just like a whole movie done a year. Well, they they don't like, they st- they, they have, have like several projects. teams. Yeah, they have teams several teams and, and they start ahead, but that's still a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of work. staggering it. That's yeah. like, that's crazy. The amount of things. Yep. Animation is expensive and takes a lot of time. Yeah. It's just like, ooh, one a year. Can we do like every other year? And like, I, I, it's so, still a lot, but like, 
So a lot of this info actually comes from a documentary that's on Disney Plus right now called uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty. There's an interview in there with Roy Disney where like a reporter asks him like, "You think you can? You think you can do a movie a year?" He's like, "We're gonna try." <laughs> you know, he looked he, he looked like he was sweating a little bit. Like that's what they've told me. You can only keep up that kind of breakneck speed for a little bit before you like either have to abandon ship or yep. like you gotta take care of your mental health. That's the guy. thing. They they broke the streak immediately. Like they released the film in. No, 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 they didn't. They they had one of you there. So it was like 1989, right? Yes. Yeah, 1990 and 91. They, they're still good. I think 93 is when the streak is broken. Which they makes could, sense. They couldn't handle it anymore. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so a little movie called The Little Mermaid was scheduled to be uh, Disney's 1989 film uh, with much of the creative spark coming from songwriter Howard Ashman and composer Alan Menken. Who, who were brought on board at Disney after working together on The Little Shop of Horrors. Just letting you know, the like heart and soul of the Disney Renaissance, like all those movies that people love today, mm-hmm. I think can be... You, you have to thank Howard Ashman and Alan Menken for those movies. Because without those two guys, I don't think The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, uh, so on, so on, I don't think they would have been as successful as they were because they gave Disney the structure that they needed, right? So Howard Ashman, he was a songwriter. He had worked in a bunch of musicals for Broadway or whatever. And he basically came in and they were making The Little Mermaid and he thought, let's just make it a musical. We'll just make this an animated version of a Broadway musical. It follows the structure of a Broadway musical, all of the peaks and valleys, and we use the animation to tell the story and the music, just like an old classic Disney the music will go along with the animation and it'll be, you know, kind of a, a marriage of musical animation. and animation. If not for that idea, the movies that we're talking about would not be what they were. Yeah. They needed that one thing. And yes, towards the end of the 90s, Disney maybe relied on the formula a little too much, <laughs> but I think it was super important to find that process. Yeah, And they're yeah, still yeah. using it today with like Frozen and Moana Right? Yeah. They're still doing it. They are. Luckily, that's not all of it, right? Yeah. It's a tried and true formula that definitely works with certain films. Yeah. And it's easy. You can... Like, tons of audience members can identify with this formula. It totally works. And you know, like, something beautiful about it, like, because it's, like, not just, like, songs to... Baby Shark songs. It's, like, Broadway-style songs. When parents have to put these things on over and over, they're true songs. Right. So their kids are, like, watching this thing, but it's, like, it's. I'd rather have Into the Unknown stuck in my head. <laughs> like, ah. right, because it's just, like, yeah, it's hit, I can't ever hit those notes. Well, okay, I wouldn't want my child singing those because they can't hit those notes, but they'll just be screaming. But things like that, yeah. as opposed to, like, freaking... F is for fun, friends that do things together. Like, yeah, mm. I agree. Definitely agree. I'd rather listen to Hukuna Matata every day than and just about any other children's song. <laughs> um, so, meanwhile, while The Little Mermaid was being made, another animated fairy tale was in development at Disney Feature Animation. And that movie was called Beauty and the Beast. Built best. So Beauty and the Beast, based on the uh, 1756 French fairy tale, the same name, by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont. <laughs> Forgive my French. It had been an idea that had been thrown around at Disney since the days of Snow White in, ni- in the 1930s. Whoa. Yeah, like Disney Walt himself wanted to co- like make, just like he did with Snow White, he wanted to make a Beauty and the Beast style movie mm-hmm. back, in, back in the day. Uh, but they kept running into story issues. They didn't know how to tell the story at the time. So 
I mean, that's fair. It just never that's, got made, yeah. That's like a real thing. Yep. Uh, in 1987, the studio resurrected the project and asked Roger Rabbit's animation director, Richard Williams, who we talked about. like he's The man of perfection. He's the, the magician who made Roger Rabbit what it was. Uh, they wanted him to direct the movie, right? Uh, Williams declined, probably because he was too busy trying to finish The Thief and the Cobbler <laughs> just before it was wrested from his hands <laughs> by, by Miramax. Um, but he recommended his protege, Richard Purdom, for the job. The version that Purdom was working on, there were animation tests in that documentary that I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that version of Beauty and the Beach was Beauty in the, in Beach. the Beach. <laughs> That's definitely I can probably find that retelling somewhere. You know, that version of Beauty and the Beast was not planned as a musical, and it would have been it would have been like much more of a strict period film, powdered wigs and all. Oh wow! Yeah. In animation. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it looked it looked very uppity, very high class. So after Purdue and his team presented the first 20 minutes of storyboard reels in 1989, Katzenberg and the like production team, the, the, like the story people, the executives, uh, they decided to scrap the entire thing and start over from, from scratch. Well, and, uh, and this is why doing a movie a year gets crazy. Yep. Uh, Purdom, uh, he resigned a few months later. I bet. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Basically, this movie was scheduled to be like the summer of 91, right? Mm-hmm. And this was 1989. Oh wow! Yeah, they they had just under two years to to finish the film, basically to start Com- to and start finish. and finish. So they basically they, they were in a crunch. They were in a crunch, and they turned to two story animators who had never worked on a feature film before, called Kirk Wise and Gary Truesdale. Uh, they were hired to be the new directors. Okay. This, like I said, this is the first time they directed a feature. They were green uh, behind the ears. The only thing they had directed up to this point was the pre-show portions of Epcot's Cranium Command. <laughs> uh, and they didn't even direct the full thing. Uh, in fact, the Brave Little Toaster's Jerry Reese was the man who directed that show. Oh, wow. Yeah, so shout out to the Brave Little Toast Man. Brave Little Slothead. Yeah. Katzenberg brought in Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who had just done songs for Be- uh, Little Mermaid. Um, he wanted them on Beauty and the Beast because, like, they found a winning formula with Mermaid. He was like, we need those guys in here now, mm-hmm. right? This movie needs to be a hit, and we don't have a lot of time. Ashman was reluctant at first, as he had been he had been developing a pet project based on Aladdin at the time. But he agreed after Katzenberg strong-armed him at a beach party. <laughs> I guess they were ha- having a beach party. He approached him and said, I need you on this movie. It really but is like, Beauty and the Beach. <laughs> Beauty and the Beach. <laughs> but... Yeah, like, Ashman is like, no, I'm working on Aladdin. No, no, I need you on Beauty and the Beast. And he just, the way they described it in the documentary, it's like, Katzenberg convinced him in the only way Katzenberg can. <laughs> Which sounds very uh, ominous. Yeah. So with all the, f- the pieces finally in place, the Beauty and the Beast team had to hustle to meet their now Christmas 91 deadline. At least it was pushed back a little bit. <laughs> That's still crazy. Does that make it a Christmas movie? The second one is. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast and the Enchanted Christmas. All right. <laughs> uh, since the original story had only two major characters, like the Beauty and the Beast. The titular Beauties and the Beasts. Uh, the filmmakers enhanced them, added new characters in the form of enchanted household objects, and added a real villain in the na- in the form of... Gustav. That's not his name. Gaston. 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 As for casting, Disney had originally considered casting Jodie Benson, who played... Uh, Ariel, Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Mm. Um, but they eventually decided on Broadway actress 
and singer Paige O'Hara in favor of having a heroine who sounded, quote, more like a woman than a girl. I was like, I can fair. see that. Yeah. That's fair. Bear's, be, bear. Belle is a little bit more... Um, Mature. Yeah. A little more seasoned. Yeah. So to say. A little more well-read. She Cyn- knows that a thingamabobber's true name she's is a She's a bit fork. more cynical. <laughs> That's fair. She's lived, she's lived a life. She's literally not a princess. This is true. Until the end. <laughs> Um, at the at the time, O'Hara was best known for her work on the musical Showboat. Mm. Never saw Showboat. Me neither. Uh, so as for the Beast, a few actors were considered. Cowboy Curtis himself, oh, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne, was considered. I mean, that would have been interesting. Yeah, uh, Val Kilmer. Don't and know who that is. Mandy P- uh, Patinkin were all considered. Uh, Mandy. Mandy. Yeah. Armando. Uh, but the role was eventually given to actor Robbie Benson, and everybody hustled and got this movie out by Christmas 91. Mm-mm. Congratulations. Hey, creative types. When the people that are making your paycheck say, do this by this certain time and it's unreasonable, I mean, they're making your paycheck, so you should do them. But honestly, don't, because then they just expect you to be able to turn things out like that, like machines. Hence, what is that uh, video game company that always puts out crap because uh, and treats their workers badly? There's a lot of those. Well, <laughs> that. I'm just saying, there are countless film studios and video game studios that treat their employees badly. Just want to say that. Yep. And and, and wrestlers. WWE. Yeah. Not kind to its workers. No. Just saying, hey, Hollywood, be a little bit more labor friendly. Anyway, that's, hey, that's Beauty and the Beast. And they, they pulled it off. Gosh dang it. They made this movie. All right, so as I mentioned, this movie follows the structure of a classic Broadway musical, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to talk about first, because I feel like because this is our first Renaissance, Disney Renaissance film, I want to, like, really hone in on the musical structure of it, right? As set up by Howard Ashman. Right. And it kind of helps us, you know, get the plot out at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like, and that's the thing, you've seen more musicals than I have, so... Help me if I get something wrong. But I feel like for most musicals, the first song is like the ensemble song, right? The whole ensemble comes out and sings about... I feel like the, the whole point of the first song in a musical is one, to introduce the leads, to tell you the setting, and to tell you what the like the whole world feels about the main character. Is that yeah, cr- yeah, yeah. That's, that seems like the, the, the most important thing. Introduce the characters, introduce the setting... And tell us how the world views the main character. Yeah. Right? And the first song of Beauty and the Beast perfectly does that. Right? As for the lead and the setting, it's like the first line of the song. Mm-hmm. The song's called Belle, the main character. Mm-hmm. Little town, it's a quiet village. Little town, quiet village, the setting. Every day, like the one before. Little town, full of little people. Waking up to say Bonjour! 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 So, again, we are, I feel like in just that, like, simple verse, we know the town. It's like a quiet little town in France, provincial, nothing extravagant. It's mundane. It's normal. How do we know it's France? They say, bonjour! <laughs> and, and you, it could just be the quarter. And it does a good job introducing Belle, the main character, because 
like how she feels about the town. Every day is just the same, you know. She it's provincial. These people are like basic. Yeah. <laughs> compared to me, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. You can you can make the argument that Belle's a little stuck up. Yeah. That's uh, fine. She's smarter like than everybody else. Angsty white kid in a suburbia? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and then also the 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 song tells you what the town thinks about Belle. Yeah. Look, there she goes, the girl is strange, no question. And she's ready, can't you tell? Never part of any crowd, cause her head's upon some cloud. No denying she's a funny girl that bears. Bonjour. Good day. How is your family? Bonjour. Good day. Who is your wife? I need success. That's too expensive. There must be more than this Okay, the the town, how do they feel about her? She's a little weird. She's strange. She's always got her head in the clouds. She's she's a dreamer. She's a little kooky. And like there's a legit character like a Karen in, in the in the foreground that like does like the crazy thing to her head. The twirling her finger around her ear. Yeah, just like, oh she's a little crazy. If if I was Belle, I'd, I'd feel this place was pretty provincial too. If everyone treated me that way, so it's, it's a chicken and the egg situation. We don't know if she's the way she is because the town feels that way about her, or if the town feels that way because she is who she is. You know, I feel like yeah, it's chicken or egg. But I feel like the town itself feels that way a lot because it's just kind of like this is a town full of farmers. Go to a city with the university if you want to be highbrow. But like the rest of us are like you're like walking around, reading, and doing all this stuff where it's like. I literally need these eggs or my family's going to starve. Yeah. So I can see there, but it's like hostility on both ends that's just fed through a fever loop. Right. And there are a few like points where the song kind of slows down and it has some like spoken dialogue between characters. Like Belle goes to the bookshop or the library and borrows a book and talks about how she's read it twice. (laughs) But she loves it anyway because she likes fantasy and far off worlds and she needs to get the heck out of this common town. (laughs) Uh, and then we're also introduced to the villain of the movie. He's yes. also part of this song. Who is that? Gaston. The jock. Hello, Belle. Bonjour, Gaston. Gaston, may I have my book, please? How can you read this? There's no pictures. Well, some people use their imagination. Belle, it's about time you got your head out of those books and paid attention to more important things. Like me. Like me. Uh, so Gaston legit just steals her book and throws it in the mud. Yep. <laughs> into a the puddle. book that does not belong to her. Yep. Her friend's book. Well, he gave it to her at, at the end of that scene. Oh. A brand new book that is now mine. Uh, Gaston is a hunter. He's like, the, he is the jock of the town. He's the quarterback of the high school football team. He's the, like, local <laughs> hero. But he is a self-centered jerk. Yeah. And in some, so... This is like, you know, at the time, this was a modern Disney film, right? And they were, yes, trying to carry on the tradition of, like, princess movies of the past, but also they were making fun of the tropes of the Disney film, right? Like, the princes of, like, Snow White and Cinderella, right? Mm-hmm. No character. No character. is You know, <laughs> and they were just like... They you, barely have names. Yeah. Gaston, in any other Disney film, I feel like, before 1991, would have been the hero. Yeah. And, and the town would have, like, rooted for him. But they wanted to tear down that trope a little bit. Mm-hmm. Deconstruct it. So he's a self-centered jerk. Yeah. Because he's in this common town where people, like, they only value, like, physical strength. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know. Good kind looks. Of good looks. <laughs> he's, he's a strapping man. Um, and, and that's Gaston. I feel like that's smart. And that's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I agree. That's a that's a, a ballsy way to go. Yeah. Can I say that? Yeah. It's a ballsy move on Disney's part. They hadn't done nobody had done it before, and they're like cornering the market. And Gaston, his like sole focus in the whole movie is to do what? Get him a beautiful wife who will be subservient to him in all ways. Yep. This is the day your dreams come true. What do you know about my dreams, Gaston? Plenty. Yeah. Picture this. A rustic hunting lodge, my latest kill roasting on the fire, and my little wife massaging my feet. While the little ones play on the floor with the dogs. Oh, we'll have six or seven. Dogs? No, Belle. Strapping boys like me. Imagine that. Do you know who that little wife will be? Let me think. You, Belle. Yes. You, Belle. No, thank you. The man wants to marry that girl. He's gonna marry that girl. He'll marry her anyway. Mm. <laughs> Pass incel. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 line in the bell song at the beginning, like the one that like Jess and I quote often, is like, "There must be more to this provincial life." Yeah. What I don't even know what the actual line is, but it's like, oh, "She will be my wife." Right, Gaston sings. Yeah, that. I do. Yeah. The reason we, we sing it all the time because there's a YouTube video called "Beauty and the Beat" by Todrick Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a Reta- like it, it's parody. A, it's a live action parody of this song Belle, but from the view of like Belle is a girl living in like an the projects ur- the ur- an urban neighborhood yeah. yeah and it's just a bunch of like urban characters like reacting to her. like in the same way in the same way like Belle in the thing it's just kind of like I'm a booksy reader person and they're like we're like farmers working hard now she's like I'm a bootsy white girl and amongst a lot of black people and Hispanics there's Hispanics yeah so they're just like what is this girl doing here kind of right thing. so it's, it's it's a funny little <laughs> video but it, rather than Gaston there's like the the Gaston stand-in <laughs> Travon? Trave? I, I think his, I thought his name is Andre. Or something. Possibly, I yeah. can't remember. He's just as creepy as Gaston is. Yeah, like I'm gonna get with that girl. But in the in the scene, she sings, you know, I wish that there was more the, to this provincial life, and he says, If you got good credit, you can be my wife. If you got good credit, you can be my wife. <laughs> Which is a thing I said to Rodney very often before we got married. <laughs> we, we we quote that often. If you have good credit, you can be my wife. Yes. Yeah. So that is the song Bell. It's very effective as an opening song. Also, that thing said there must be more to this hood rat life, not hood, hood rat life. Yeah, I <laughs> forgot. Anyway, yeah. I feel like it accomplishes everything an opening song needs to do. Yeah. I would not disagree. Okay. the The next song featured is a reprise of this song because we we get a bunch of story in between, right? Uh, we meet Bell's father, Maurice. Who's an inventor in the town? Maurice! Are you alright, Papa? I, I'm, I'm about ready to give up in this hunkin' junk. You always say that. I mean it this time. I'll never get this boneheaded contraption to work. Yes, you will. And you'll win first prize at the fair tomorrow. But uh yeah, so he's he's an inventor. He's trying to build like a, a wood cutting machine that will uh win him a prize at the fair. And that you like, know, all their dreams will come true. Like any good Middle school students. <laughs> yeah. He's, you know, he's just the bumbling scientist. Yeah. And he's fine. And uh, he, he kind of gets the, the plot going where he, you know, travels to the fair, gets lost, accidentally gets captured by the beast, and Belle has to go save him. Yeah. But, um, so all that stuff happens in between, and then we return to Belle, 
and she has a very important type of song. Do you know what that type is called? I Want. The I Want song. And I'm going to let Howard Ashman himself explain what the I Want song is. In almost every musical ever written, there's a place, it's usually about the third song of the evening. Sometimes it's the second, sometimes it's the fourth, but it's quite early. And the leading lady usually sits down on something. Sometimes it's a tree stump in Brigadoon. Sometimes it's um, under the pillars of Covent Garden in My Fair Lady, or it's a trash can in Little Shop of Horrors. But the leading lady sits down on something and sings about what she wants in life. And the audience falls in love with her and then roots for her to get it for the rest of the night. I want the most important song in a musical. And uh, we talked in... in, in uh... The Little Mermaid. What, what's the name of that song? What's her I Want song? Part of that world? Part of, part of yeah. That apparently, world. like, world. apparently some Disney executives fought not to put that song yeah. in the movie. And Howard Ashman, you can see how passionate he is explaining like, it. No, it's it like, stays or I walk. Yeah, that's literally what happened. Because I feel he knew how important the I Want song is to the story. So every Disney princess has an I Want song. Um, Belle is no different. That just made me sit here and go like, well, the leading ladies, the third or fourth song, Alexander Hamilton, what was your, it was definitely my, throw, throw away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. That's song three. Alexander Hamilton. Is the leading lady. He, he wanted it. He wanted Lin -Manuel it. Lin-Manuel Miranda, the leading lady. So Bell, Bell's I Want song is a reprise of her opening song called, you know, so it's called Bell Reprise. And here's how it goes. Madame Gaston, can't you just see it? Madame Gaston, his little wife. No, sir, not me. I guarantee it. I want, I want much more than this provincial life. And then the music swells, and everyone gets so excited, and you want to see Belle, like, conquer something. I want to see Belle not married to Gaston. What does she want? I want adventure in the grave. Have someone understand I want so much more than they've got planned. So she wants adventure in the great white somewhere and she wants someone wide great wide somewhere <laughs> I was thinking like the mountainside or something great white somewhere you know what I mean sorry <laughs> It's France. That's all there is there. <laughs> um, and she wants someone to understand her, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who can connect with her on a level that no one else in the town can do. Yeah. Especially Gaston. Right. Very important. And and I feel like that drives Belle for the rest of the film. Yeah. That scene, that, that, talk about animation. That, like, shot is gorgeous. Yeah. No, it is. It's yeah. beautiful and sweeping. sweeping. Grand. Grandia. Grandios. <laughs> you got... Like the, the epic uh, view of like the entire countryside in the in the front as she's the like white somewhere and she's just like belting out what she wants. <laughs> like I love it. You know what? They do that really well in the seven two thousand seventeen version as well. They do not. <laughs> Don't get me started. She knows that one of the things I hate about the twenty seventeen version is they neutered the I want song. Like Emma Watson, she does all right. She's an all right singer. I don't want to bully her or anything like that. But like. The cinematography did her no favors. Like, mm -hmm. she's, like, standing next to, like, a dead tree <laughs> with a very flat shot, like, singing this song. And I don't feel the emotion or the epicness that I do in this animated version. Let yeah. me just say that. So, 
you got the ensemble song, the the I want song, and the o- the other song I want to highlight is the villain song. I mm-hmm. feel like most most musicals have a villain song. Is that right? Yeah. You know, um, and if there's villains, if there are villains, and I feel like with Disney films, generally the best song in the movie is always the villain song. Almost every, almost every. Disney yeah, I mean, film. I agree. I was like, best song in uh, Lion King Be is prepared. Scar's song. Yep. Best song in like the Princess and the Frog is the the yep. Voodoo song. I've seen it. The once. best song in Tangled is the Mom's. Oh yeah, song. Mother Gothel's and her reprise. Her reprise. The best so song sweet. in Hunchback of Notre Dame is uh, Hellfire. It just, it just hits so different, and he's just gross. <laughs> the song's good. Yep. So we got to highlight the villain song of Beauty and the Beast, which is Gaston. Mm-hmm. And this song is great because it's just Gaston's like hype man, LeFou. Yeah. Trying, we all need a LeFou. We all need a LeFou to like build your confidence up. He's just explaining why Gaston is so great and why the town loves him. Mm-hmm. No one's slick as Gaston. No one's quick as Gaston. No one's next as incredibly thick as Gaston, for there's no man in town half as manly. Perfect the pure paragon. You can ask any Tom, Dick, or Stanley, and they'll tell you whose team they prefer to be on. No one. Sorry. <laughs> you can't, like, hear that song and just not want to sing about it. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. What are your favorite lines from that song? Favorite moments? Uh, I eat 3,000 eggs for breakfast. <laughs> when I was a boy, I ate two dozen eggs to help me. I, I, I wonder if I have that. Hold on a second. No, I don't have that. I don't uh, have that clip. I'm especially good at decorating. <laughs> he's got antlers in all of his decorating. Uh, and he's especially good at spectorating. Which is like chewing, right? No, it's spitting. Oh. Goes tromping around wearing boots like Gaston. I use antlers in all of my decorating. So, the one thing I think the Beauty and the Beast 2017 did do right is they like Got really that. leaned in on the. I've got antlers in all of my decorating because I feel like that's everybody's favorite line in the song, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, like in 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 that version, they make you wait for it. You know, like they tease you with it, and then like when it happens, it's like this triumphant, like yes, <laughs> he said it. And I would have been all in on it if not for the fact that they cut the line about how every last bit of him is covered, covered in, in hair. hair. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody bites like a star in a wrestling match. As you see, I've got biceps to spare. Not a bit of him scraggly or scrawny. That's right. And every last inch of me's covered with hair. Like, why are you taking these things out, my guy? Right? Why remove lyrics from the song? That's weird, isn't it? If you're remaking a movie that is, like, highly defined by its music, why would you remove parts of the music? I don't know. I mean, not for this, but I think in general, it's like a good rule of thumb is uh, that was more acceptable to say back then. But like saying you're covered in hair is not unacceptable. I don't know. Maybe the the actor who played Gaston just couldn't grow any facial hair or I mean body hair. And he was uh, sensitive about it. Yeah. 
That's my favorite part of guest on the this version 1991 in that song there's a point where because they they show him doing like manly things you know getting into a wrestling Quote match unquote. shooting drinking beer um roughhousing there's one where he's sitting at a table playing chess mm-hmm. with somebody and he like is losing he's losing so he just flips the table and gets frustrated <laughs> which is so funny because he's manly. he's a simpleton Oh yeah, you know. But at the same time, everybody still loves him. Yeah. So, just just a great song. I just wanted to gush about it for a while. But <laughs> that's I, I feel like that's the music. Of course, every musical also has a ballad, and there is a ballad in this movie. Maybe we'll talk about it later. And then you know there are just other random songs that are like plot songs Can or individual individual character songs. Did you ever want to be guest on? No. Did you though? No. Did you want to put antlers in all your decorating? No. Did you want to be especially good at expectorating? No. Did you want to be covered in hair? I mean, I didn't want it, but it <laughs> happens. <laughs> oh, man. So, so I know you want to talk about story, so let's jump into the story here. We talked about, like, the plot of the, you know, the basic plot of the movie. From here, it's Belle goes to the castle, gets stuck there, and has to learn to love a beast. A beast. So she... Oh, I thought you were playing. Oh, I was thinking about it. Before. Oh, okay. yeah. So she, uh, So Belle shows up at the castle to find her father, who's been locked up in a dungeon. Um, and we meet a few of the denizens of the castle. We'll get to the beast in a second. What other characters occupy this castle? We've got a lamp called Lampy. No, that's Brave Little Toaster. Oh, my bad. <laughs> it's another example of a movie making you anxious about the objects in your home living. Yeah, You, that's you need true. to treat them well. Uh, we've got Luminaire, Lumiere. Lumiere and his best friend Cogsworth. Cogsworth. They're a... Uh, best friend. They're got, the odd couple. It's a candelabra and a clock. Because everything in this castle is alive. Old-timey. Oh. Old-timey and alive. <laughs> um, all of the inhabitants of the castle have been cursed to live as appliances or whatever. Right, right. It's a girl. I know it's a girl. Girl. Don't you see? She's the one. The girl we have been waiting for. She has come to break the spell. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Lumiere is the... girl worth waiting for. Gosh. Lumiere is the smooth-talking French candelabra, and Cogsworth is the uppity butler-type character. He's yeah, a, the high-strung. He's a clock. He's the, uh... What do you call it at a, at a, at a hotel? The concierge? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's that very character. And then who, who, who are the other... Uh, we got Mrs. Potts, the pot smoker. She's she's a teapot. And her son, Chip. Mama, there's a girl in the castle. Now, Chip, I'll not have you making up such wild stories. Really, Mama? I saw her. Not another word. But Into the tub. What? Yep, so it's a teapot and her child, teacup. She has many teacup children, but we only know of one. But we only know. We only spend time with one. Yep. Um, And we've got a vacuum cleaner. No. <laughs> it's a brave little toaster again. Okay, so yeah, let's talk about the beast. Um, this next clip, I have it's called Meat Cute. <laughs> it's the Meat Cute. Mute Uncute. Where the two protagonists meet for the first time, and you know that they're going to fall in love one day. What are you doing here? <laughs> Who's there? Who are you? The master of this castle. I've come for my father. Please, let him out. Can't you see he's sick? Then he shouldn't have trespassed here. But he could die. Please, I'll do anything. There's nothing you can do. He's my prisoner. Oh, there must be some way I can... And, uh, what does she do? You're asking me? Yeah. I don't know, I haven't seen the movie before. What? (laughs) She gives her life for his. She takes his place in jail. Take me instead. You. 
his place? Bell, no! You don't know what you're doing! If I did, would you let him go? Yes. But you must promise to stay here forever. Which is a big ask. It but, is. But she does it because she is a selfless person. I have a question. Yes. If you were in this situation, and a beast took your dad, or your mom... <laughs> That's rough, man. I don't know. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> I mean, the Maurice does like uh, insist that Bell go. He's like, he's old. He's lived his life, right? That's not. That's, that's not. A, just you're standing there. Everybody in the situation except the Beast has seen Beauty and the Beast, and it's like they're my prisoner. Your parent just looks up at you expectantly, like. I know what the next line's supposed to be. What, am, I, am I supposed to fall in love with this beast? <laughs> no, you're married. But would you give up your freedom don't, for your parents? Don't put this evil on me. <laughs> uh, and also, if you were just going without a trace, I want you to know I'd be very angry at having been left behind. Like, yeah, my husband just, you know, we're not divorced. He just skipped out on me. He lives with a beast. He lives with a beast. Or so I'm told by his crazy parent who came back in town. But don't worry, I sent them to an insane asylum. Oh dear. <laughs> you're, you're Gaston. Yes. Uh, so you asked me specifically to just grab every clip of the beast yelling at Belle yeah. from this point forward. Because you, I, I think you were trying to like tally up the score. Like, did the beast earn Belle's love? Yeah. <laughs> the floor is yours. Did you get every scream? I tried. It's fine. Um, yeah, okay, so I, as a, we've said a lot, kids, am not a Disney baby. I'm like your uncle here. Hey. I'm not. <laughs> uh, and so, like, when I was watching this, I was like, nah, dog, he, like, doesn't earn this mess. So he screams at her, like, at the beginning when they first meet, like, I'm the master of this castle. That's my beast voice. <laughs> Hit you. <laughs> And then screams at her to come to dinner. My servants will attend you. Dinner. Invite her to dinner. You will join me for dinner. That's not a request. <gasps> I, do, I do say that sometimes. That's not a request. request. So he screamed at her to invite her to dinner. Then when she doesn't show up, comes and taps on her door. <laughs> I thought I told you to come down to dinner. I'm not hungry. You'll come out or I'll... I'll... I'll break down the door! Hufflepuff. I could be wrong, but uh, that may not be the best way to win the girl's affections. Please attempt to be a gentleman. But she is being so difficult. I love how, like, he, he's like a little baby. Like, he's yes. a child. He's a petulant child, which is exactly what the beast is supposed to be. Yeah. He's a petulant child in a beast's body, and he needs to learn to grow. Yes. Yeah. He again screams at her when she goes to the to the forbidden place the west wing so he established that's the one boundary he sets up for bell because he does here's my point for the, the beast like at the very least he like recognizes bell's selflessness mm -hmm. right he's they they have this really great shot where it like she agrees to take his place and he like dad's place her, her dad's place and he like looks at her like you take his place mm -hmm. and then when he she's he sees her willingness to like stay in the dungeon and stuff he has a little bit of self-reflection and realizes that this this person is different than me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's this selflessness I've never seen before. Um, I should offer her a room to stay. I'll show you to your room. My room? But I thought... You want to you stay in the tower? No. Then follow me. No. 
So he lets her, you know, have her own room in the castle and he establishes one boundary and that is stay away from the West Wing. The castle is your home now, so you can go anywhere you like, except the West Wing. What's in the West Wing? It's forbidden, it's forbidden. And what does she do? Goes to the West Wing. Why did you come here? I'm, I'm sorry. I warned you never to come here. I didn't mean any harm. Do you realize what you could have done? Get out! No! Get out! Screaming. Screaming. And the thing is, I understand that he put boundaries in place and that she broke them, but he screamed at every- so, like, the screaming at this point doesn't mean anything. All you do to communicate is scream. And correct me if I'm wrong. Was he going to leave her in the dungeon until Lumiere was like, Lumiere hey. Lumiere did insist. So like, that's okay. Cause I was like, oh, did I miss that? He actually gave her. No, that was not of his own record. Even if you're saying like, even if you're like, well, he saw that she's different. Like, no, he was told to do it. He was told to he do told it the, the by room, the room thing. Yeah. Yeah. By Lumiere, by one of his servants who are very much like, I would like to not be a lamp, please. I would not like my extremities to be on fire all the time. Thank you. So there's that. And then he runs and he, she runs out. He goes to, he goes after her. Uh, And then when they're back in the house, he's growling at her while she puts on anesthetic. And that's more or less the last time we hear him scream at her. But that was like four or five times. Yep. And here's the thing, kids. You don't have to earn people's love. I want to say that. Like, this, this this is not a Bioware RPG. Yeah. This is not Mass Effect. Right. Those words. Whatever those things were he just said. This is not a visual novel. You don't need to earn someone's love. Love can be like given whether without having deserved it in real life. But if you're writing fiction, mm. <laughs> no. And so like with all of these things, I was just like, it wasn't just like I'm counting up all the times like he screamed at her. I'm counting up like these are all the things that he did to dig himself in the hole. Like what has he done to like at least earn not love but like friendship respect That's or tr- a a a a, decor- a bit of trust yeah you know um because why would you like i came to your place and my dad was in prison that's freaky uh and then i am living here and he you drag my dad away in a magical carriage and that was i didn't even get to say goodbye that's freaky you lead me to a room there's a lot of talking things and i'm still kind of freaked out you're saying it is an order that I go to eat when I was just in a dungeon and I'm in a place where things are talking. That's scary. You haven't asked anything, checked on any of my well-being whatsoever. Like, what is going to be in this food that you eat? Let me just say, on this is a mm. Disney movie and it's not going to, it's not like that. Try the but stuff. as it's a delicious. woman who is now captured by a man who is telling me I have to eat the food that he has provided, I will starve first go ahead and starve yes and so like all of these things and even when she like runs away finally um he like goes and she's like attacked by wolves and he saves her i was saying this when we were watching this i was like he didn't go after her to save her he went after her because she said she would stay and she left he went back to collect his bound Sir, what his indentured mm. servant that's what happened and he happened to save her life in the the from the wolves and she's kind-hearted enough to be like well i'm not gonna leave him to die in the snow i suppose yeah so like all of these things i'm like no and then you see in a in the montage you yeah, see in the more. montage like the singing montage 
of there's something, there's something more to this no, provincial there's beast. There's something there that wasn't there before. That song. And um, you can see, like, you're not, like, seeing real moments, right? You're seeing, like, yeah, he's being, like, adorable. And so that lends to, like, a little, like, a little bit of endearment. Yeah, it leads to endearment, right? Or, like, yeah, how do you not, like, think it's a goofball where this giant furry it has a bunch of, like, seeds in his hand and then he's covered by birds like oh yeah that's like haha whatever but um with all the things that we see you know it's not like it was like at most i can see you're slowly like getting a little bit more trust but like then it's just kind of like no right like this isn't this is a cartoon and this goes very quickly yeah, i totally it's, get it's it it's a swift it's a swift like 80 minutes long it's too like not too quick it's so quick though that like it's things like this where it's like no because like real talk right he'd still be blowing up because he has those tempers but we don't see any of that in the cute little montage and i'm just like no and then when you really think about it i was telling you and you're like mm, no all of this happens in a day that whole montage is a day because Freaking her dad gets home, stays the night, not even the night, gets back, goes back out to like, no, I must help Belle. And LaFou is like chilling in his, no, he comes back the night of, right? Like, and then goes and says, hey, help me. There's a beast that took Belle. And they all laugh at him. And then he goes home to pick some stuff up and then goes back out trying to make his way. We don't know how long between Maurice getting home and them going to the house to look for him. Maybe he needed to like, you know, overcome his hypothermia before he could go out and He didn't have hypothermia. He got he got home in a magical carriage. He got home <laughs> quickly. I'm just saying it's a day, maybe two. And unless the 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 castle is enchanted and in a time space continuum that runs faster than anything else, which I mean then that flower really be dying though. 21 years is not a thing. Or, you know, like all of this is supposed to happen in a day. Like it just like that's what the timeline is between like the like the dad stuff. And then I will respond to arguments like this. It's a fairy tale. It's an allegory. I get it. I was like, if you want to look at it logically, I guess you can. But at least on the timeline aspect of it, like just know that it's a fairy tale. Yeah, and know? I and I get it, right? So I will like stop. I won't like super nitpick in that. I just like start getting there when I'm like annoyed because like. All of the things, like, all the things together are just, like, I don't believe that, like, that is enough to overcome the, like, legitimate terror that this woman felt all in that first day. Yeah, I get it. You know, and right. so it's just, like, no, he doesn't earn, he doesn't earn this in the sense of, like, and not, like, earn the love, but I don't believe that that is love, the love that would break the curse of this flower. Like, no, that's dumb, which takes me out of and it. That, and that's, but that's the thing. He does neither person learns love in that moment either. Like that, that, that montage sequence, I feel like that song is doing a lot of work mm-hmm. because it's trying to depict that process that you're talking yeah. about. And, and it's like, unfortunately they had one song to do it in. Yeah. And, and that's the way it goes, but they present the beast in his, at his worst. And then for the rest of the movie from, you know, there's something that wasn't there before and onward, he is trying to overcome and yeah. be, be best. Yes. You know, as be, not be beast, be best. Be best. But yeah, so I see that, but I just like, all of it is just like, no. Like, I would have, like, I see the song doing what it's trying to do, but I don't think it does it well enough where I'm like, I'm not seeing okay. gestures or seeing him, like, really do anything to overcome. Like, you painted him so bad already that you're you're not painting him good at all you're not taking the time to do they that. do a few things so number one is he he without anyone else's 
provocation, decides he wants to give something to Belle. He wants to, like, say, give something thank you or do something nice for her because he sees the kindness in her heart. Mm -hmm. I've never felt this way about anyone. I want to do something for her. But what? Well, there's the usual things. Flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. <laughs> ah, no, no. It has to be something very special. Something that sparks her interest. Wait a minute. So yeah, he does ask his advisors for help to do that, but that was his idea. Mm -hmm. I want to do something nice for her. At the very least, that's the beginning of something, right? Sure. <laughs> well, you don't, you, it doesn't sound like you agree with me. It's a fairy tale, sure. <laughs> Whoa. Sure, it's fine. This is not the same beast that was yelling at her. I will, no it is. Here, like, here's the thing. Kids, I know it's a fairy tale. Honey, I know it's a fairy tale. My brain can't stop real world comparisons. And if there is a, a guy who's screaming at me all the time and like belittling me as a person and then is like, I don't know, maybe I'll give it a try, but doesn't like move to try to talk with me, but instead is just like, I want to do something and just get suggestions from his friends. And then suddenly at my doorstep i see like a box of books like that's weird so you found out that i like books from someone because we've never talked about it but maybe they have in that montage he reads with her yeah he does she does after that though like it's like one of those things like how about we get to know each other how about we invite her to dinner nicely how about we and they do but in that song they eat porridge together but we don't see that first right like it's it's like one of those things that like the overturn, I get, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. It's fine, it's fine. It's a fairy tale, and I'm doing too it's much. It's a morality tale. It's a morality tale. I do it, I'm doing it too much. I'm just like, that should have been the first thing, like, to paint him. I don't know. It's it's fine. It's fine. Ignore me. Ignore me. Ignore <laughs> all, me. It's fine. It's all fine. I'm it's saying fine. is... It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. This is a different... This is a beast that is growing, because that's how it works in a morality tale. Okay. I was like, if you want to look at him as some kind of three-dimensional character, I guess that's fine then you won't be satisfied. Oh, but yeah. again, it's a children's movie. That's fair. You're fair. right. So it's like if the movie tells you, hey, the Beast is becoming a better person, you have to just believe it. This is probably why I don't like Disney's movie. This is why I think Disney tells bad stories. They're better now, but you, I think you, most You're too much like Peter Banning. You need to, you need to, you need to find your chi inner nope. child again. I don't. I like current Disney and Pixar stuff. I think they tell full, realized stories about... People that aren't like two dimensional, and that's what that's what it was at the time. We Too were at a renaissance. A we were in a renaissance. It's fine. I think Disney movies of this era are bad. I think they're bad. I think they're bad movies. If we had children of this age, I would not let them watch them. And I would. <laughs> You're not left alone with the children. It's fine. Hey kids. Just saying, I'm going to teach those kids how to fly and how to fight and how to crow. I mean, I would probably let them watch Peter Pan. <laughs> like, let's be honest. <laughs> Anyway, so the beast he does he figures out what he's gonna do. He's gonna give her a, a, a giant library. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it. I've never seen so many books in all my life. You, you like it? It's wonderful. Then it's yours. Oh, thank you so much. And not only like I mentioned, he reads with her. He connects with her. That's what she wanted when she sang about it. That's true. I want to connect with somebody and. He tries. Yeah. He gives it a good, honest shot. Uh-huh. And then they have a wonderful date in a beautiful ballad place. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? That is the thing that happened, yes. 
So anyway. <laughs> do you want me to agree with you or do you want me to tell you what I'm thinking? Uh, then, yes, of course, You tell honey. me what you think. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I have a clip here that also I feel like this is also the beast growing, right? So he decides to show her the magic mirror to give it to her, right? So he's got this magic mirror that he can use to, like, see the world outside of his castle. Um, and he gives it to Belle so that she can see how her father is doing. And they look at it, and Belle's father is out in the woods dying of frostbite because he's searching for Belle. And she's like, I need to go see him. So he lets her go. In a pure act of selflessness, he lets her go. Papa! No. He's sick. He may be dying, and he's all alone. You, you must go to him. What did you say? I release you. You're no longer my prisoner. You mean... I'm free? Yes. Oh, thank you. Hold on, Papa. I'm on my way. Again, the clock is ticking on this, right? If, if, if she's <laughs> gone, his only out to become a human being is gone, right? And like... I feel like the selfless, cynical person would be like, keep her around because we need to be humans again, right? That's the But for him, it's like, no, I have now reached the point where I care about this person. Maybe Belle does not love him at this point, right? Mm-hmm. But he has feelings for her, and he recognizes that I need to put her needs above my own. Yeah. And he does that. And I feel like that is a selfless act. Okay. That's worth ad- admiration. Yeah. No, I think that that is true. No, I'm not saying that that's not. I feel like, okay, so we're told he grows, and then we see this. That is growth. Do I believe that even at the end of this movie, that Belle would have been like, but I love you as more than a friend? No, because that's on one side. <laughs> fine, I'm, fine, fine. Sorry, hold on, hold on. I mean, like, yes, growth. No, no, you, I, I don't he, need you to agree with he's me. He's a grower. <laughs> Wait, that's not what I meant. It's a grower, not a shower. No! <laughs> he really didn't show anything, though. <laughs> but again, at the end of the film, after he has once, several times risked his life for her, mm-hmm. then she finally falls in love with him. Like, it takes him to the very last second when he is, like, you know, seconds from death, basically, on his death's door. Then Belle professes her love for him. Please, please don't leave me. I love you. It's like the last second, last moment. It's like Indiana Jones sliding under a a closing door and getting his hat, you know. She squeezes in that I love you at the very last second. Well, you're going to be dead, so uh, I guess I can say this now. What 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 what, the, what should the movie have done to make it more satisfying to you? Like, her, her they turn. Didn't, they didn't have time. Her turn? Yeah, for her to grow um, to love him, what would have needed to happen? It would have needed to not be in a montage. Like, that. that's the thing for me. Like, it would have needed to be... A, like a more than like the like we did a montage and now we're doing the date song whatever tale as old as time and then we're walking like here's a mirror like we need at least one other scene because we spend three or four scenes with them the only talking is them anta- antagonizing each other right like Fair. we get like a small bridging scene right when she like is healing him up is like stop being such a baby da 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 and like there's like 
moment there where you're like, oh, we can do more. But like having a conversation that could have just been, even if she was like something like, oh, I've read a book that did this and da da da. And he's like, oh, tell me more. Or like engaged in what she's in. And then like seeing her like pause and like, nope, my dad doesn't even do that. And I know my dad loves me, you know, like, and like knowing that that, and then if we see that moment, then when I see them reading together or talking or her talking and him like nodding along while like music is playing, I can believe like it's more moments like that of her being seen and heard rather than her needing to be the thing to fix his thing. I get it. Of her being a person who needed love on her own like to feel loved rather than like because at this point she's just an object for the beast in the same way that gaston sees her as an object that's it they treat their objects differently it's as it's different like you treat your car way better than i treat my car but they're both cars you can disagree i was gonna disagree with that last point like i i think at the by the end of this movie i feel like the beast does not view her in that way anymore he treats her as a person that's why he let her go no 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 I can see that the story the treats story her treat- as. I, yeah. I get now that I understand, and I I get that it, I think it's a it's a an issue of running time. This movie could have yeah. used some some scenes. It was eighty minutes, ten more minutes. That's it. Knowing the time constraints these men were under, fair. These men and women were under fair. I, that, that's I think that might have been the issue. Fair. This is artists. They write your paychecks. They don't own your souls. They just own your houses, your cars, your children's education. <laughs> I'm sorry. So anyway, I think that is where the issue lies. Yeah. It's the story, which you keep saying. It's like, I can't, like, if the story isn't allowing it, then the characters are not believable to me, which is why the most of the Disney movies in this era I've watched twice because I don't want to sit here for this crap. Yep. No offense. It's beautiful that you love it. Are you damn? Am I tearing no, I'm not you down? Okay. You're not okay. I'm okay. No, you're not okay. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's the best of the era. It's better than all of them. Don't don't lie to me. <laughs> so, um, the last thing I want to talk about is kind of related to how you've been arguing about this movie, but not completely. I also just want to say that the beast should have died at the end. The magic should not have, like, fixed him. Like, oh, I turned into a human. Belle, I love you too. He has a mortal wound. He should have just, like, I love you too, and then dead. Yeah, imagine if that happened and the spell was broken and all of the people got to be people again. But But the beast died. Yeah. Adam died. I would have preferred that as a movie. When they do the remakes. The full Jesus moment. Yeah. Well. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So... The last thing I want to talk about is kind of related to your arguments on, like, viewing the film from a more, like, logical sense. Mm-hmm. The way you the way you were doing it is fine. I, I, I agree with you. I think Belle could have been flushed out a bit more yeah. than she was. That's totally fine. I feel like that is a valid criticism to have of this film. I think the issue since this movie released, especially in, like, the year of the internet, mm-hmm. you know, the, the age of the internet, is that people like to present bad faith arguments to Beauty and the Beast. Mm-hmm. Now, the bad faith argument, that I've heard that come from film critic and YouTuber uh, Lindsay Ellis. Mm-hmm. Great videos. Go look at Lindsay Ellis on we YouTube. We do like her. We like are her. a Lindsay Ellis household. But she has a whole video just like basically confronting bad faith criticisms of Beauty and the Beast. And what I mean by bad faith criticisms are people who go... like I'm talking like bloggers and YouTubers who nitpick this movie based on like plot you know quote plot holes mm-hmm, and like right. logic holes right as if this movie a animated fairy tale 
was ever trying to be completely logical and mm-hmm. lifelike, right? Right. That was never the intention, you know? And it's, yeah, it's a little fun to, like, have those conversations like, oh, yeah, like, Belle is, she's just suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, you know, she was forced to live with this guy and <laughs> and it's weird that she fell in love with him. Like, she's basically his slave, right? Right. Or... The other one that's come from that cracked, right? Is yeah. Is it the cracked team? Cracked, yeah. The, are they pop culture addict? Or yeah, they're not. They don't do those anymore. But they, they were like fired. a YouTube show, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Web show, and there was one guy who made the argument like Daniel O'Brien. Well, like the Beast when he was a little boy, because um, you know it said that the the rose fell, the rose would you know completely wilt at his twenty first birthday. So that would mean that he'd be like ten years old. When the old lady came to his house, who would expect a little boy to to trust an old woman to come let to his house? Let a stranger house? in. Yeah, that's weird. Let a stranger in. I felt like he did the right thing by not letting this old lady in. I'm like, that is a bad faith argument because you're not meeting the movie at its level. Mm-hmm. You're just nitpicking it for the sake of nitpicking it. Yeah. Right? You have to look at the medium that it's telling its story in. It's a fairy tale. It's a morality tale, right? The very beginning, the old man with the British accent tells you this little boy was spoiled, selfish, and unkind, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point, his decision not to let this old woman into the house was based on the fact that he was spoiled, selfish, and unkind. Not that he was being cautious. Not that he was, you know, thinking about stranger danger. That's not what the movie is saying. Right. So you have to look at his bad decision as a bad decision. Yeah. Because that's how fairy tales work. Yeah. If this was a drama directed by Martin Scorsese, <laughs> like, I would look at it a little differently. Well, that's fair. Also, that uh, video he is referencing is called, it's on the Obsessive Pop Culture Disorder playlist from Cracked. Um, I just wanted to say that. Because Thank Because I personally love those things. <laughs> But I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're just like, okay, but it's a fairy tale, which is what you checked me for several times. You're like, it's a fairy tale. Right. Like, it's you're a right. morality tale. You're right. You have to view these characters as allegories, as symbols. It's like, yeah, I feel like you're right. Belle could have been written a little better, and mm-hmm. that's different. But I feel like trying to, like, yeah, st- no, I get st- it. You know, Stockholm Syndrome, or why didn't she just try to run away? You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, because she's a good person and she's like her word. She, she promised unlike, her wor- my word is my bond. That's what I'm saying. Unlike <laughs> Peter Pan, her word is her bond. And she like made a promise. She she tried to keep to her word. Like, yeah. I told this guy I would stay here with him forever. And yeah. that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I mean, and, what are, what's my alternative? Mary Gaston? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we know that Belle is a good person. Yeah, yeah. And her decision to stay with this beast is because she wants to uphold her end of this bargain. Yeah. Or whatever. And all of this, I think, is rooted in the CinemaSins view of film criticism, uh-huh. right? The idea that we needed to pick pick it apart. And any little plot contrivance or plot hole is, you know, takes away from the the film's grade, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's like a like a science project. Yeah, but I don't think that's how art works. No, or I, should work. I, I agree. Some plot, like it's the thing. Not every plot hole is created equal, and I think you know, it's true. especially considering the type of movie that you're watching. And that's my. That's my my rant. Yeah, rant over. <laughs> <laughs> and I give it to you. I, I I will right like. And I think it also is just kind of like this movie. Like if you're gonna look at it like that, this movie isn't for you. Like the way that I like was like this is I'm having issue. I have an issue with this. That's why I don't watch the movies because they're not for me. And I understand they're cartoons and on the lower echelon of stuff. And I'm like they are for people. They're for children and grownups. I'm not. I'm not the thing. And I'm not going to tear apart like somebody's 
art. I know I just did, especially since they like but you, work you, so hard. You weren't doing it to the effect that I'm talking. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not trying to do it in bad faith. I'm just saying, how would I fix it? Let the beast die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scar children for life. I mean, uh, Gaston died. I was like, that would have been an interesting thing. But like, for a Disney happy, happily ever after, you got to have that beast be alive. Yeah. Oh, that's Beauty and the Beast, folks. <laughs> and on a, and on a just a frustrated note. But really, I, I do highly recommend the Beauty and the Beast. I think it is a great film. Recommend from you? No. 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 No from Jess. <laughs> But that's the thing. If you want to watch Beauty and the Beast, you probably have already seen it. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, if you ever wanted to watch it, after our conversation, you're probably going to go watch it. I yeah. would think. Well, we've definitely told you the Beast doesn't die, so you're fine. We didn't We didn't ask this earlier. Would you recommend Hook? Maybe. Yeah. I wouldn't. I just, as, as a, like, a single, if you've never seen it before, yeah. Just once. Yeah. I would say, For like, Rufio. maybe look up clips of Rufio only. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's too boring for kids. It's too boring for me. Ooh, I, I hope kids aren't listening to this. That's true. I mean, maybe these for... No, 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 no. I would Sorry, just, I think about our music episodes. Hey, kids, you're the only kids that can listen to this. Children cannot listen to this. I was like, we got friends with kids. I wouldn't tell my friends with kids to have their kids watch Hook. That's fair. Yeah. Hey, but let's talk, the, let's talk about how uh, Beauty and the Beast was received. Okay. So, an unfinished version of Beauty and the Beast was shown at the New York Film Festival in September 1991, where it received a standing ovation. Apparently, that was unheard of at the time. Hmm. The F- New York Film Festival, they did not do standing ovations. Oh. <laughs> but Beauty, <Disney. laughs> Beauty and the Beast got one. And uh, the film's The film's official release was met with critical acclaim and record box office numbers. Ah. Yeah. It was one of the most successful animated Disney film releases ever. Like, up to that point, it was the most successful. And the first animated film ever to reach $100 million at the U- U.S. and Canada box office in its initial run. Good job, I guess. I made a lot of money. Uh, Grandpa Ebert said, Beauty and the Beast... <laughs> Grandpa reach- Ebert. Grandpa Ebert said, Beauty and the Beast reaches back to an older and healthier Hollywood tradition in which the best writers, musicians, filmmakers are gathered together on a project on the assumption that a family audience deserves great entertainment, too. And I was like, I, th- I think that's the main thing I want to bring away from this movie is like all of the right pieces were in the right place to make a great movie. Mm-hmm. It's like you got two directors who really care. The writing team, like they hustled and got it done. The animation team is, did a really great job. The music's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. music's great. <laughs> in the years following Beauty and the Beast release, <laughs> uh, some critics have panned Belle's characterization. So you are not alone. Your complaints are valid. In fact, many people have brought it up. So mm. you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Beating the Beast was nominated for four Academy Awards, winning Best Original Song and Best Score. As far as the Best Song category, three different Beauty and the Beast songs were nominated for that award in Dang. the same year. Yep. So the, the deck was stacked in its favor. <laughs> um, it also was the first animated film ever to be nominated for Best Picture. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Never happened before. But it lost to Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> the Fava Beans. <laughs> You've never seen Silence I'm of the not. Lambs. She, it puts the, what is it? It puts the something on it. Lotion. It puts, it the, puts lotion. the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. Yeah, never seen that movie. But to make up for that, the film did win the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture, Musical, and Comedy, where it also won Best Score at Best Song. Didn't win the Oscar, but it won the Golden Globe. Cool. 
you didn't get a man named Oscar, but you got a whole world that was gold. Uh, the soundtrack for Beauty and the Beast was equally successful. It was nominated for eight Grammy Awards, winning Best Album for Children, Best Instrumental Composition Written for a Motion Picture, Best Song Written Specifically for a Motion Picture, Best Pop Instrumental Performance, and Best Pop Performance by a Group or Duo for the, uh, the Celine Dion, Peebo Bryson version, specifically. What did they sing? They sang uh, Beauty and the Beast, like the, the title track. Oh. Yeah. There's a song called Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, the one oh. that Mrs. Potts sings. Oh, that's Tale not called... as old as time. That's not called Tale as It's called time? Beauty and the Beast, parentheses, Tale as old as time. Beauty and Albert. Yep. So Celine Dion recorded a version, and it was a huge, like, international hit. <laughs> and uh, also, I want to point out, I had no idea the Grammys had so many freaking awards. <laughs> I didn't know Best Album for Children was an award. Well. Well. Did Baby Shark win one of those? hope not. <laughs> um, and speaking of that Beauty and the Beast song, it became Dion's second single to land within the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100. Was the other one the Titanic song? I don't know. It was, no, it was her second at that time. Uh, okay. Oh, I'm sure that Titanic song was like... Big. Big. What's even the name? It's called Titanic song. <laughs> Penny whistle solo. My heart will go on. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, let's talk about the legacy of Beauty and the Beast. Because it has, it has very long... Hard legacy. Okay. <laughs> a long-reaching legacy. Um, an IMAX special edition of Beauty and the Beast was released in 2002, uh, which also included a restored song called Human Again that had been initially cut during production. Oh. Also written by Howard Ashman. Um, there have been three direct-to-video sequels, including Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Never heard of it. I've seen... We had that one on VHS. It's terrible. <laughs> Beauty, I'm sure it was just as good as this one. Beauty and the Beast's... Um, Belle's Magical World and Belle's Tales of Friendship. Who's her friends? I don't know. They were, it was 97, 98, 99. Like three three in a row. And they were really cranking those sequels out. They were. Were the same years that like uh, the Cinderella part two? Yep. Bambi two. Punchback of Notre Dame two. Goodness. I remember. I think that's the only one I saw. Uh, I feel like I saw Bambi two because because of Deer Fest. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Disney on Ice produced a, an Ice version of the movie in 1992, which turned out to be a huge commercial success as well. Did you ever go to Disney on Ice? You ever no. been to an Ice show? No. I think I went to Snoopy on Ice once. Why? <laughs> was that Knott's Berry Farm? I assume, because yeah. Knott's owns the Snoops. Doggy dog. <laughs> um, a stage adaptation of Beauty and the Beast debuted on Broadway in 1994. The show was widely panned by critics, but it did win one Tony for costume design. Oh, nice. A live-action children's show called Disney's Sing Me a Story with Belle debuted in 1995 and ran for two seasons. Okay. Never have I heard of this and never have I seen it. Let's Google it right now. Let's see what we can it do. Looks, it looks like, a, like an out-of-the-box style variety show. I love out-of-the-box. Like, Belle is like... Out-of-the-box. It's like a live-action Belle out owns a... box A bookstore? She owns like a bookstore, yeah. And she Why would she need a bookstore? Ch- her boyfriend gave her an entire library. I don't know. She reads to children. On, it was probably like Disney kids or whatever. <laughs> Disney babies. There are way more Beauty and the Beast video games than there should be. <laughs> including a 1995 SNES game and two 1993 Sega Genesis games. One based on Bell and one based on Beast. Sega Genesis. <laughs> Super Nintendo Sega Genesis. <laughs> there is a Beauty and the Beast game on Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis. <laughs> Paige O'Hara and Robbie Benson also returned as Bell and the Beast in Kingdom Hearts several times. Right. 
Uh, Beauty and the Beast has continued to be well represented at Disney parks. Um, but its first dedicated dark ride, Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast, opened, got <laughs> put opened in quotes, at Tokyo <laughs> Disney in 2020. Oh. It was supposed to open, well. had a soft opening, and then things happened. Tings. What kind of tings? And in 2017, Disney released a live action adaptation of Beauty and the Beast starring Emma Watson. As I said before, it is far from good. <laughs> People worked on that. They did. And I feel bad that it didn't turn out good. <laughs> I'm sure they all worked very hard, and I really appreciate them working hard, but do better. Wow. I can't say anything because I just spent an hour and a half trashing the, the version that they took a year to make. So this is actually the only Disney movie that we'll talk about that was directed by the duo of Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise. Oh, okay. After Beauty and the Beast, they were like Disney hotshots. You know, <laughs> they they made, wanted them. It's like... They made they made the movie, they made all the money, and won all the awards, so why wouldn't we just give them more projects, right? So, here's what they did after Beauty and the Beast. They worked together on 1996's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and 2001's Atlantis, The Lost Empire. I like those movies. I, th- I feel like... I haven't wh- watched Atlantis in a while, but I remember really liking it. I feel like th- those two guys were the Disney director team that had the most ambition, they were always trying to do like big outside the box type And did movies. they always work together or like For those three movies, yeah. Okay. And I feel so like with Hunterback of Notre Dame, like that's such a weird project to want to do for Disney <laughs> and they wanted to do it. And then Atlantis is like super ambitious. Like, you know, tons of world building and yeah. science fiction and all this stuff. And then after Atlantis failed <laughs> They went their separate ways. Truesdale well. joined DreamWorks in 2003 and has since worked on hit series like Madagascar and Shrek. Ugh. And most recently directed the 2014's straight-to-video movie Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a movie that exists. <laughs> uh, Wise has helped produce a few Disney nature documentaries since then, and he directed the terrible Bobbleheads movie of 2020. I'm sorry, the what? There's a CG Bobbleheads movie. I think what trying to capitalize on the uh, Lego movie, like, way too late. Oof. Got another Spaceballs. <laughs> yup. And that's it. That's Beating the Beast. <clears throat> that's where we, we end our show. We have runners-up, right? Sure. But do you want to talk about who won this first? Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> I think I won. For many reasons. You can say Beauty and the Beast is flawed. Hook is way more flawed than Beauty You can and the have Beast. it. I don't really like yeah. as much as I like I like love Peter Pan tell, tales, not all Peter Pan things are created equally. So I didn't like there are moments in there's like, oh yeah, I love it. That's very like nostalgic and stuff like that. But I'm like, I feel the same about both of these movies. Super underwhelmed. <laughs> so Beauty and the Beast it is. Rod wins, nineteen ninety one. Fine. Woo. And I assume we have runners up now. We do have runners up. So uh, I only have one runner up written for you for 1991, and that is Terminator Dose. Oh, man. One of the best action films ever made. I've never seen a single Terminator movie. Terminator 2 is so freaking good. High recommend to anyone listening. Go go watch that. That movie's great. I have nothing to say about it, but considering he really likes this movie of 91, I'd say don't do it. It's got got a Guns N' Roses song in it. It's got guns because it's a Terminator. It's got roses because it's a Terminator. It, it, literally, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger has a rose box in a hallway, and he like opens the rose box, and roses fall out, and he pulls a shotgun out. So it's literal guns and, guns and roses in the movie. 
<laughs> Ew. Uh, okay, and then I have two runners up. I have Curly Sue, which is a movie I've watched a couple of times that I remember. I really liked. I really liked. It's about a like you've never heard of it. Nope. I only know Susie Q. Uh, no. <laughs> it's about a uh, a man who's a con artist, uh, and he just travels everywhere with his like six year old daughter who's also a con artist because he doesn't like have the ability to take care of her otherwise. And they just go around conning people around the country and stuff like that. And then I guess I get separated and she like starts to con a family, but then starts to live with the family. Then the dad shows back up. Lots of stuff. It's fun because there's a lot of like dynamics. That sounds like something you'd like. It does. And drop dead Fred. Ugh. Perhaps my least favorite movie of all time. I have not watched it as an adult. I have not rewatched have, it as like what I consider an adult as I am in my 30s now. And I want to rewatch. Hey, kids, as this comes out, hit us up on Twitter. Do you want to like watch this movie? Your uncle refuses to watch this with me. He just refuses. And I'm like, I could watch it alone, but I kind of want to talk about it. <laughs> Somebody watch it with me. Watch it with me. Yeah. Uh, Drop Dead Fred. I had to watch that with, uh, for AP psychology class. Um, don't ask me why a teacher of AP psychology decided that is something that we needed to do. There's a lot, from what I remember, there's a lot, like, it has a lot to do with, Men- like... Mental illness and... Not just mental illness, del- delus- but the, like, the... Delusion. Yeah, but the blocks that we put on our, ourselves and yeah. how we, like, contain ourselves into bad relationships. But also it has a bunch of gross-out humor that I despise. Yeah, that's fair. Can't have it both ways. It can't be a gross-out comedy and a smart psychology film. Yes, you can. No. Yes, you can. Whiplash. Total whiplash. Can't have it. No, you can't be whiplash. Don't watch whiplash, kids. (laughs) Oh, that's runners up. And that's the show. It's been a long one. It has been a long one. Hey, thank thank you for sticking with us this whole time. I feel like... We started at 527, and now it's 816. It's a long long process. I (laughs) I think you, dear listener, have given us the energy to carry on this long. No, I'm Um, asleep on my chair. (laughs) to, To talk about these two very... I would say epic in scope films. Yeah. Know? Maybe maybe not epic in length for uh, Beauty and the Beast, but epic in scope, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. These are two very important films. Yeah. Um, and with that, we got plugs. Yeah. What do you want to plug? In my phone. <laughs> I'm funny. Laugh at my joke. Woo! <laughs> You're the worst. Um, plugs. Well, if you want to hear more of my voice um, or see some st- some of the kind of arts that I make, I upload almost every week, if not every week, then every other week on a my YouTube channel called Taming Tales on YouTube. Find it. Watch it. Um, and at the end of every month, I put up two to five videos that are um, a long- longer piece that are a story video. Otherwise, I'm vlogging. And it's just, I'm telling a story uh, with some art attached to it come and join them i just recently put up um first four chapters of a story called the collectors it's a lot of fun not like fun haha but fun like where is this going who are these people what's going on so come along for the ride yeah um if you want to hear more of my voice i have a youtube show called keep kayfabe where we follow the careers of our favorite wrestlers and if you like professional wrestling it's something to check out uh yeah we're probably in some exciting storyline somewhere. WCW, WWF, who knows? <laughs> check us out on YouTube. Um, you can also check out my writing on ZeldaDungeon.net. I write about the Legend of Zelda series. If you like video games and you like Nintendo, it's a place to be. Also, you can follow me personally on Twitter at RodTheMaster. And you can follow our show, MediaMade, on Twitter at MediaMadeShow. And on Instagram at MediaMadeShow. Yeah. Uh, we have... 
fun things like polls and videos and pictures and <laughs> fun just clips from this thing yeah. that you've already heard. Just a just a bunch of fun stuff. Bunch of fun stuff. Bunch of fun stuff. So check us out. And with that, that's the end of the show. Yeah. Um, we appreciate. Hey, we appreciate your liter- your listen listenership. Yeah. Um, tell a friend about the show, maybe. Uh, tell them that yeah, we have a lot of fun talking about '90s movies, mm-hmm. and uh, just keep listening. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. Yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna close out the show with the song "Beauty and the Beast" (parentheses A Tale as Old as Time) as sung by Angela Lansbury in the Beauty and the Beast film. It is a beautiful moment in the movie. It's the the ballroom scene, you know, where they got the the CG, you know, ballroom. And two animated characters dancing, and they do some of the most epic animation ever. We didn't really talk about like technical stuff with this movie, but that is a cool scene that you've probably seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to close out with that song. That song, apparently when Angela Lounsbury recorded it, brought everyone to tears. Aww. So we hope that it brings you to tears. I mean... We'll see you next time with our music of 1991. Goodbye. Bye, kids. Have happy thoughts. As the sun will rise. As old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you were wrong Certain as the sun Rising in the east Tale as old as time Song as old as rhyme, beauty and the peace. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, beauty. <laughs>